really? <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> Come good. on. How's, uh, how's your job? Is it fun? It's you still great. having fun? It's as good as jobs can be, sure. <laughs> the That's word sweet. itself just makes my stomach crawl. Oh, uh, I know. It's hard to f- have to go. Your stomachs with... crawl? Does that make sense? I, I don't know. That was it's weird. So, sometimes I... it feels like they're crawling, yes. shall we say. I don't know. Yeah. I'm getting undressed <laughs> while we do this. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so ooh, yeah, man, well, when was the last time I saw you? I haven't seen you in like two months, I don't think. Is it two months? Jesus. Wow, yeah. It's Where been, you been? Uh, I, I, was in, um, I was in Europe again. Uh, you were just about to leave last I saw you. Yeah. And How did that go? Uh, it was fucking pretty awesome, man. Like, uh, I mean, you know, we, we started in London. We went to Oslo. We played outside of Oslo in a little town called Lillestrøm. Uh, with this band. What the fuck was their name? They sounded and looked exactly like Motley Crue. They were really funny. Uh, what? And they've played here a bunch of times. Uh, not here, but in America a bunch of times. Fuck, I can't remember their name. Uh, not that Scorpion Child shit. No, 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 no. This was like a... This is like a... That they were like... I don't know. What era Motley Crue? Like Shout the oh, Devil? Yeah, like or the, like Corny you know, Theater you know, of Pain? You know what it was? was like, you know the, with Scandinavian bands, a lot of times where they're able to sort of rip things off aesthetically you know yeah. what i mean like so they just kind of like like they had a, every song sounded like a motley Crue song but not the motley Crue song and uh, yeah they were and they looked the part and they played i swear to god they played for an hour and 45 minutes oh that's and dramatic. they were the second band on they weren't headlining they weren't headlining. <laughs> what the fuck it was really fucking funny but we also played with a band called wolves like us who are a sort of post-hardcore band that had a record out on prosthetic a couple of years ago um, that was so they're label cool. mates, kind of. Well, yeah, former label mates. Um, and uh, then we went to Helsinki, where we played a show with uh, Foreseen, which is a... Yeah, that crossover band. Crossover band. Um, they were great. Uh, they're really good live. Yeah, they were fucking great. And then Rotten Sound headlined. Oh, we played with Rotten Sound. They yeah. killed live. They were fucking great, yeah. And Helsinki is a cool place. It was really funny because the club we played had an upside-down duct tape cross. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like very familiar to home yeah. turf. It was it was quite familiar. Um, wish I could remember the name of the fucking place. I'm such an idiot. It's a month ago <laughs> now, so it's like it's a long time ago. It's I old guess. news. I know it is old news. And then we played in Hamburg, um, which was fucking hysterical. I, I I forgot what the Reeperbahn was like. A Reeperbahn is the red light district, and I forgot um, on a, especially on a weekend that it's like going to the Reeperbahn is like walking into the bar in Star Wars. You know, it's like, <laughs> totally. like you just like you just don't know who's gonna like do something stupid to you or like yell at you. I think somebody yelled some racist shit at Chris at one point. And there was a guy who was sitting at the bar throwing peanuts at me, <laughs> and I got in you his guys face. Are popular. And yeah, he's fucking weird, man. It was just like, <laughs> oh, Zolo. Like I, just <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I thought Greedo was gonna come up and fucking take me out, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a, uh, it was a fucking trip. Uh, but eight flights in eight days. Holy shit! Yeah, man, that was like, and I, I'm pretty bad with the uh, with the fucking um, jet lag. So it was a uh, who the, booked that? Uh, Brooklyn Brewery booked it, and you know paid for everything and stuff. But it was like, I don't know if they put it. I mean, it's cool on paper. It looks cool, and you're like, oh, this is great. But having to go like through security every day. Yeah, it's a like, grind. It's it's and and a lot of the flights were early, so it was like wake you know play the ne- the next night, wake up at six a.m., go to the airport. Um, just like 
shitty and hungover and like i mean i can't complain that much i wasn't it's not technically work but the jet lag was just on jet lag on jet lag on jet lag I no, it's, it's weird hours and it's grueling. Yeah, even though it, even home, though it's fun, the flight home had a connection, so it was like almost nine hours long. Oh fuck! Yeah, it was it was pretty rough. Um, you but, mentioned foreseen. You should get them to play here. I would love to. They're, they uh, they have a new record. Coming they're out. playing Sunnyvale, I think. Uh, they're coming through. I know. Yeah, they told us that what what. And they I know they have to. a record coming out really soon. Yeah, it's not yeah. Out I'm sure they'll be back. I mean, they, it's just. I mean, they're from fucking Helsinki. Yeah. Oh, so right. So I actually, this is great because I. Ron's almost the only person that I texted <laughs> who wasn't work-related or my wife um, while I was over there. And the reason being is because I was at Helvet, which... Uh, the pictures made me cry. Yeah, so the Helvet of... I think that's how you say it, is the record day, store... Yeah, yeah. how do you say it? I don't know. I'm a I, guinea from Long Island. I don't say anything right. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me. You say mozzarella. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, so basically, I... I we went to the it's a place the Euronymous owned uh, from Mayhem, uh, and the original record store was in the basement. So it was in this like shitty ass like basement, and they were gonna. What, the original idea was that you were gonna have to carry torches to, to see the which records. Is fucking so stupid! It's amazing. It's amazing, but it's like you know, guys, come on. It's so it. cult, you'll burn down your store. <laughs> <laughs> so this it got taken over recently by this other record store um, in Oslo, and. Uh, they, I mean, this place had ten thousand used T-shirts. Like the picture, I couldn't even grasp what I was looking at. I, you needed like three weeks to get through it. I mean, everything was super overpriced, but like, I mean, all the test pressings, the fucking demo wall was outrageous. It's just like a museum for metal, really. That's pretty much what it was. Yeah, and then you like you go down to the basement, and they had like more of a hardcore area, and there's more T-shirts, and then there's like this weird door, and you go through that. And that's where the original record store was. And it's basically like a fucking cave. That's what it looks like. And it's got that. So the original metal. store was small. Yeah, it was super small. If it was in that, if it was only in that basement, it was incredibly small. And they like put pictures of mayhem and all the stuff all over the place and in it. And well, considering what he was carrying them, it had to be small. There wasn't a lot yeah, of product. Lot to it carry. was so underground. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you probably it was fit literally it. underground. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. So that was a. Uh, that was kind of a cool thing because it took us a while to walk there. We had to walk all the way across Oslo, and which is beautiful, but very Scandinavian. You know, you, you, whenever whenever I go there, I'm, I'm kind of like, you start to agree with some of the black metal documentaries. They come out with, well, it's so beautiful and boring. You know, we want to make it <laughs> ugly. Well, that's pretty much true. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, just I can get like, it. Like the perfect society, everybody's pretty. It's like. You know, you don't see any ugly American noses or acne or shit like that. No fat people. Yeah, no, 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 not it's really. It's like illegal. Um, and it's really beautiful, and it's a social democracy. So, like, you know, you don't see that many homeless people, if any. And, um, you know, everybody everybody has a good life. And, in fact, I think Oslo was voted this – or Norway was voted the happiest country in the world um, recently. With the exception of the metal scene. Right. Who they are, didn't take that poll. Right, who were more miserable Yeah. whatnot. Um <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I could understand I that. I didn't meet any of those people. I mean, everyone I knew in my teenage years was happy, and I was fucking miserable. Yeah, well. You know, yeah. suburban life, I was supposed <laughs> to be happy. You know, well, you and the black metal guys did the same thing with the hair in front of the face. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely doing that before anyone. Yeah. Wow. Practically <laughs> walking into walls, showing myself, showing the world how antisocial I was. What an idiot. Anyway. <laughs> it was cult, man. Was I have cult. no regrets. I didn't make friends with assholes that way. 
Anyone um, who talked to me had to have a good reason. <laughs> I guess that's one way of t- putting it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you put up walls to not let the assholes in. Really. Yeah, I mean, it was self-protection combined Did with... That, that just I really terrible. don't want to know I you. shouldn't say you put up walls to not let the assholes in. Cause, that's right, Trump review. Yeah, it, shit. I fucked that oh, one. Oh, boy. Sorry about that one. Oh, boy. Um, Team Vita supports Trump. Don't boycott. Let the don't. boycott begin. Yeah, please. <laughs> 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 has it already? It already has begun. Oi shows only coming soon. Oh, oh God! <laughs> yeah, anything that's highly questionable, highly <laughs> highly suspect. Um, that's a band, isn't it? I'm probably the shadiest thing that walks in your door. So you're okay. Yeah. All right. That's true. Um, anyway, so yeah, so that was that was super fun on, on that trip and whatnot. And uh, yeah, I came back. That's. I mean, I just been working and trying to figure out life. Uh, I've been very unsuccessful in trying to figure out life, <laughs> but I've been trying. Yeah, I just well, destroy everything I touch. It's like a natural gift. <laughs> you see, I mean, I mean, I'm gonna guess you've been to a few shows. You got anything for me? Yeah, I've seen some shows. Um, if I could remember, any of them would be helpful. But What's the point of going, man, Jesus, my brain is a blur lately. I am going to. Um, What's coming up, which I guess is the segue to Drew, I'm going to the premiere of his movie. Cool. Followed by Carnivore and Cro-Mags at Bowery Electric. Mm-hmm. It's the whole New York Hardcore weekend. And then the last day is the Black and Blue Bowl. Wait, Carnivore? Yeah, they're doing a 30th anniversary of Retaliation. So the two surviving members, Mark and Louie. Who play in Retaliation. They're not actually in Retaliation. They're it's not. totally oh, okay. separate. All right, gotcha. I was the guys sure. who played, played on the record. a couple times. I didn't know. Yeah, um, that's um. I think that's a Blood Feast guy who does that. Probably because they play all this the is like shows. the two yeah. guys from the record that are still alive, and I believe I'm not sure they have Baron, who was the original bass player of Sheer Terror, doing the Pete Steele part. I could be wrong on that. That's the word on the street. And he was in a really obscure thrash metal band from Long Island called Desecrator. It sounded mm. like Dark Angel and Slayer, who were great. Yeah, Desecrator, sick. You remember uh, them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's who's being Pete for the night. It's with the Chromax, and the last night is Gorilla Biscuits, Rest in Pieces, Token Entry, Terror. Oh, it's Black and Blue Ball. Yeah, and, right, yeah. Right, right. So that's, yeah, that's what's yeah. coming up. I can talk about Oh, I saw um, Sepultura, Prong, and Testament last week. That oh. was cool. That was cool. Prong was good. They opened with Disbelief or Primitive Origins. Luckily, I missed it. The only <laughs> song I really wanted to hear. It worked out great. But they did sound good. Sepultura sounded like... Yeah, uh, I don't know how to take the Sepultura without Max and Igor. It's kind of weird, but I, I, I don't. I don't think I've heard. I, on it, to tell you the truth, I don't think I've heard a song. It's not bad on there. record, but I don't need to own it. And as far as seeing it live, I saw the original, and it's just so different that I can't even compare it. Well, to tie in this weird twist of fate, the singer of Sepultura, the new guy, was in a band called Outface from yeah, Cleveland, and uh, he was in a band uh, Charlie. Who was in Civ? And yep. I don't. Is Charlie playing with Grill Biscuits? I think he's playing with Judge. I think. Uh, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's. Oh, playing is he in Judge? Judge right. yeah, I think he's playing with Judge right now. Um, but uh, yeah, so so weird. Like sort of come around on that one, you know. I have I guess. the Outface 12 inch. I haven't listened to it in decades. Yeah, but I do have it. I did. I I'm, I can't remember if he he probably played in some. Version of Gorilla Biscuits at some point, but yeah. Who, so who else? Oh, Testament, right? Testament. Was I heard. I heard. Fucking so great. I heard uh, some friends of mine were at the show and they texted me and they're like, "Yo, dude, uh, you, uh, every member of the band did a solo." 
He did. And I was like, what, Chuck Billy need like fucking 25 minutes? To- well, it's tiring it's- playing um, air mic stand. You know, when he plays guitar solos on his... Yeah, uh, yeah. On, his <laughs> on his half stand, he does like the yeah. Freddie Mercury thing. That's some weird shit. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that band is such... They're such animals on their instruments, so they each got like 90 seconds to prove that they're amazing. Right. I mean, it's Skolnick, Gene Hoagland, and uh, Steve DiGiorgio. Right, right, right. I mean, they're all incredible. Yeah, I mean, Skolnick has played here a bunch of times. He's awesome to watch play. Hoagland's one of my favorite drummers. God, I remember, I remember him taking a dump. A Dark Angel played at Sundance. At Sundance. Gary yeah. tells this story. Yeah. He said it was vile. It was fucking disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know if I knew Gary back then, which is really weird. Gary's version is between songs. There was a toilet on the side, and he ran and pulled his sweats down, that took a I shit, and didn't even wipe, and just pulled his sweats back up. I remember going into the bathroom at Sundance, and there was no door on the stall. Okay, and, and he was in there. And and like I believe, I believe that maybe it was it was probably the same show. Maybe he had Rhea. Maybe he was a know. chronic shitter. Yeah, no, maybe he just had Rhea. And he, he was, was huge then. He was like three hundred seventy-five pounds. He was massive. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking. That's so funny. He looked like fucking King Kong Bundy or something. <laughs> he was fucking huge. When uh, Gary, by the way, to reference anybody who isn't from Long Island, um, <laughs> Gary Gary would be Gary Bennett from Kill Your Idols and. Uh, Sheer Terror. Sheer Terror, Death Cycle, Black Anvil. Yeah. There you go. Give your band a plug. Clockwise. <laughs> Clockwise. Jesus. Went wow. deep there. Yeah. He, he was, was in Big Sniff. There it goes. That's uh, so deep that no one got it. Oh, come on. Big Sniff was great. They were great. With Mark? Come on. Fucking awesome. And that's a good resume of people. Yeah. I mean, oh, you got Chicky and, uh, yeah, and Sheer I, Terror. I thought they were cool. I mean, uh, yeah. They were good. They what, didn't fit in, but they were good. What I loved about Gary generally is that he is similar to me, except... In that he likes to play lots of different styles. He likes to write a lot of different styles. Um, and he probably thinks Oasis is gay, which is different. Right, right. So the, we were, I go <laughs> the opposite direction, and he, he, went, he goes pop punk, which I, I can't do. He goes melodic hardcore for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's not my, not my game. Um, I'd much rather go boring 10-minute fucking mid-tempo songs <laughs> <laughs> with, with barely a solo. Um, a, a solo played really poorly by... Somebody who shouldn't be playing solos, like myself. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> what do I sign? I want to hear that. <laughs> oh, yeah, speaking of which, Primitive Weapons, we, uh, we're, we're about to master our record, so I'm very excited. Oh, awesome. I don't know if it's coming out in October or next year, um, but it's going to come out at some point, and probably most people will ignore it, and you know, but we'll just keep making them. Well, that's all that matters. Them. People keep giving us money yeah. to put them out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep making demos and records, and... A hundred people are going to be psyched, <laughs> and the other eleven point nine billion aren't going to care. Yeah, well, I mean, my phone's ringing. Who is it? I don't know. Uh, don't answer if you don't know who it is, man. Who are you? <laughs> Fuck off! It's like one of those sales call. Yeah, I got one this Were morning ask, at like did eight they ask o'clock. For your credit card information? I didn't get that far. <laughs> Told her to fuck off after she said that my name's Diane. I'd love. I'd love. For I somebody, hate Diane. I'd love for somebody to call you and ask you for. Credit card information. <laughs> That'd be so perfect. That would be wonderful. Just explain to them. I love when I get things about my housing insurance and my stocks. You know, these things really apply. Oh, yeah. Of course. Because so many people of our generation have stocks. Oh, yeah. Everybody's got – unless you're in the stock market. I had stocks once. Did you really? Yeah. I figured I, if I was going to put money in anything, I'd put it in something like health food related. So it was some small company I believed in. And then they – Let me guess it tanked. Oh, it bombed. <laughs> 
I should have just taken three hundred dollars and pissed on it and lit it on fire. <laughs> Which is like all the money I had back then. But I was like, man, I'm going to be poor forever. Let me try this. Maybe shit you should have bought some does. Apple shares. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just Satan. I'm not Satan. I have a soul, but I have no money, you know? Oh, oh God. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do. Living the perfect life. Yeah. What are you talking about? My, 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 my ideals are taking me to heaven. Let me sell out. I'll do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> You've tried. I know. It hasn't worked. I know. It doesn't work. you got to be, well. That's why I don't try. At the time I tried to sell out, it was, well, I didn't really try to sell out. I actually went the complete opposite direction. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> I just had utter punk rock guilt. <laughs> And, and There's made, white guilt and punk guilt. What a combo. Uh, fucking terrible. And wrote an album called God Doesn't Care If We Blow Up the Fucking World. Yeah. You, should write, you should rewrite that album yeah. with new lyrics. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It was pretty brutal, though. Get Trump to sing on it. It's like, hey, all you Midwestern rock radio people that I'm playing to every night, let me talk shit about Jesus on stage. Brilliant. Yeah. Attack Why are you so pissed off about Jesus? Attack the demographic. That's good. Don't be talking about Jesus. Cool. Why don't you get on Noah's Ark and go somewhere? Okay. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. Get on Thanks, Noah's guy. Ark. Anyway. Anyway. So yeah, the episode that uh, Drew Stone. So let's. Uh, we, we didn't even say what the name of it. We so the Michael Lago movie is called. Uh, Who the hell is Michael Lago? Right. Who the fuck? Is Who that the fuck guy? is this guy? Yeah. Who the fuck is this guy? Um, and he was a A and R guy. Signed a lot of big bands. Um, and a, a collection. Started mix. very humbly though. He was like, when he was like sixteen, he was the manager. For the, I, he ran the fan club. Wasn't even manager. He was a fan club for the Dead Boys. Yeah, and slowly well, worked his way up to working for Electra. And so a lot of people liked, uh, like, so Danny, Danny Fields. So mm-hmm. He was another one that kind of started doing that way as well. Definitely started as fans, and it morphed into a yeah. I mean, career even, and business. If you go further on, like Mike Gitter, people yep. like that, they all, you know, when the labels were didn't have any way of getting to the smaller bands or the smaller ba- or the underground bands didn't trust them. Yeah, you use Mike Gitter for street cred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I people mean, like him. Let's hire him. him. I mean, he managed he managed to get Jawbox to sign to a major label, which is like, you know. He signed Jawbox, Bad Religion. Did he sign the Melvins? Uh, no, I don't think so. He signed Civ, yeah. which was probably, probably that the worked. biggest. Yeah. yeah, I would say. Bad Religion did well, too. He, um, he did Triple X fanzine, and um, yeah, the early mid eighties in Boston. Boston. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's a he works at Century Media now. Yep, uh, I think they have a I think a subsidiary called Another Century or something like that. Is that their more like abstract kind of? Yeah, stuff? yeah. I think it's. I, I actually think it's like the less metal side. I, it might be. I could be wrong about that, but um, he probably does both. Who knows? Uh, I haven't talked to him in a while. He's on the West Coast now, so I don't see him anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would always see him at South by Southwest. I didn't this year, although I wouldn't remember anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, just kidding. I, w- I would. I would have, at least if, if it was like in the morning or something. <laughs> Before 2 o'clock. I was only there for like 24 hours. Uh, I didn't really see anybody. Um, but, yeah, uh, he, yeah, he's, he's a guy from the punk scene who, yeah, went for it. He went for it. Yeah, but I mean that's okay. You can do that if that's what you choose, as long as you own it, and you're not like me and get all fucking punk rock guilty and you know, fuck you, you Mackay. You either you are what you are. You know, you have your own ideals. I know. And I, I, sh- I, I should have just wrote a fucking new metal record. No god, just had that one hit, and I could just fucking chill. I mean that sounds great in theory, but in reality, when the hit doesn't happen, and everyone's like, "Man, you're pathetic." Yeah, but I mean, I'd be pathetic with a couple hundred grand in the bank. If it broke through. Which is better than nothing. 
I don't know. Oh, I was I've never really been tempted by shit like that, but I can understand the temptation of it for sure. I just, w- I, w- I just wish somebody had told me to do it. You know, that's what you have, like, management and labels for. They're like, yeah, we should go do this. And, like, they wanted us to record with Howard Benson, who does all, like, he did, I think he did Linkin Park or, like, shit like that. He does, like, Papa Roach, like, all the big... All the big guys, and I met with him a couple times, and he wore socks with sandals, so I couldn't do it. Oh God! Yeah, I mean, he was in a studio all day, whatever. But he's—I think he wore. I think I remember seeing him out. Where like, you are is irrelevant to the fact that you wore socks with sandals. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what what justifies that? I don't know. I don't know. Nothing. But I believe he did it. I, I went to see a show at, at the Whiskey, and I saw him, and he was wearing socks and sandals. And uh, I just, yeah, I couldn't live with that. I don't care how big of a hit you're going to make me. <laughs> I mean, I could have just made a deal with him. It's like, dude, can you not wear socks and sandals while we're recording? I would do weird things for money in a different way. Like, he did that. I would eat he dog shit, or I would fuck a four hundred pound woman. You can film it and give me a hundred grand. But I'm not going to write a shitty song and pretend to be on MTV. I can't do that. I have different ideals. It's not my art. It's more I mean, like I, I, I don't mind. I don't. I didn't mind writing those songs for other people, but I also like don't think I'm good at writing new metal. So you know, like. Like, uh, well, you don't even have a background in it, so it's like it's so far out of your realm, right? So but, even if you are per se a good songwriter and you think you know what they want, it's not ingrained in you, so it's more of a challenge than you realize. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to buy a seven-string guitar, and listen to a yeah. bunch of corn records, and try and figure out what you're supposed to sound like. Have a DJ. Yep, exactly. The, the DJ. Was then you got to find the right guy with the braided hair who wishes he was black but right. is white to yeah. sing it well. Yeah. Or terribly, depending. Or terribly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a know. lot to ask. <laughs> or you could just like have half a soul and write shitty records in that vein and call yourself the Deftones. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. <laughs> I don't like them well, musically. Uh, I think they're cool enough. People. Yeah, no, I think I, I don't actually, get it. I think I, they're I think like the last two records are my favorite that they've put out. I, I, I fortunately for them, I think they had the right influences. Definitely, uh, and you know, like like letting they have it, the right influences and they meet on the ass end of. Terrible stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. And they, they had some stuff that borderline was, was terrible with rapping. And, you know, they, I think the DJ's still in the band. If he is, that's terrible. I'm pretty sure he is. Um, but, yeah, it just gets to a point where, like, I, I was, what I was going to say before is that, like, new metal to me was what glam rock was in the 80s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, the I think it even it. ages worse. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I can't see new metal coming back around the way that glam metal has these days, you know? That's a segue. Well, because they didn't have... No, but that's a segue. Okay. Uh, all right, finish your thought now. Go. No, but it, well, because, like, I don't... Like, like for all the glam bands, they had the ballads, and the ballads are eternal. Yes. You're always going to have 18 in life. You're always going to have Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Yep. Like, those... And, and you know... And uh, those bands have just enough of a Guns N' Roses meets Ramones attitude to not look totally cheesy. Yeah, and rock and roll... It is, and it was basic rock and roll, so a lot of it is actually pretty timeless sounding in the recording. Yes. Whereas with new metal... All, all like it's it's so timeful, you know. It's like Definitely. so like Lincoln Park, like you can everything from the fashion to the music to the production. Every aspect of it is this window of a four year gap that I think most people, I hope, want to forget they ever did. Yeah, it's weird. It's like uh, the whole thing with that is like, like I toured with Corn for a long period of time, and like they they kind of are like they kind of take on the hip hop uh, persona. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they, they got bodyguards and they got all this stuff going on and the way they dress and everything. It's like it's interesting to see the sort of morphing of uh, 
uh, culture, culture, yeah, it, that went on. Is I'd never seen it before. Like Papa Roach was the same way, but way cooler, like way cool people. But like you know, definitely had a whole like weird hip hop vibe to them. Yeah, you know, as people, they've definitely those guys have morphed into something. I don't even know what it is, but, but this is like, a it's like rock star meets rock star meets hip hop. Yeah, this is a perfect set. We asked me what shows I went to oh. after Testament, Sepultura, and Prong. Which was in Long Island, and it was like, you know, it was good. It was cool. Uh, my friend booked L.A. Guns and Faster Pussycat about uh, 20 minutes Mulcahy's. down the road, and he gave me free tickets. Oh, no way. Yeah, George was there. Yeah. So I walk he in. Was so, he was like, what was Ron doing at this show? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Ron has to be seen, man. He's the scene stuff. I, I really didn't have to be seen there. Um, <laughs> uh, he but was blown away by Mulcahy's. He's like, oh, this place is great. He was in – first of all, it was his element. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. I walked in. Really late. I got there like, you know, after the other show, the show I actually wanted to see. So I get there late and I figured it's going to be, I don't know. I don't know that what that world is like anymore. So I assume it it's hasn't old, aged Ron. well. It's old. Well, it was 40 and over at the door for yeah. sure. But more importantly, there was like 800 people there. I yeah. thought there was going to be 100. Which is crazy because we've had Faster Pussycat here and we've had LA Guns here. And they probably didn't sell out your phone booth. They neither, or your bathroom. Neither, I think the LA Guns show might have sold out. But but no, neither of those shows. We've had Faster Pussycat twice. Neither of the shows. They do good though, like one eighty or something like that. It was fucking packed. But that's the that's you know that's it was demog- insane. That's a demographic. You yeah. know what I mean, like they those bands should be playing on Long Island. And it was a it was a um, either a Friday or Saturday night. It was in Long Island, so it's like that's the perfect trash. storm. That's the perfect storm <laughs> for every washed up whore and poser to show up and rage for six hours. <laughs> And leave their kids somewhere. I mean, it was fucking unreal. Meth mom's night out. It was crazy. Like, but it, the weirdest thing was like, I'm like, I saw so many people I haven't seen in 25 years that I never really knew, but I saw every week in like the club scene. And I would, I can't say girls, middle-aged women <laughs> were trying to pick me up. It was like, what's happening? Hi, honey. And then luckily I ran to one of my best friends in the world who I hadn't seen in 15 years. And we just broke down and talked about like Celtic Frost and Voivod for two hours. What, what was he doing there? He got dragged down by his cousin. <laughs> he was like – That's why there were 800 people there. People kept getting dragged down. It was like an event. But the band sounded good and the crowd – I, I learned something really fascinating. People don't have fun at shows anymore the way they used to. These people are having the time That's of their dude. life. This is what George always says to me. And when I'm talking of George, I'm talking of George, uh, the, the partner here at Vitus. He just went to M3 Festival. Which, oh, yeah. Forget you know, and, and, like, he had, like, he, we could, I, he could, if he was here, he could probably do three hours on the M3 Festival. He would actually talk on the mic for this topic. Yeah, uh, maybe, possibly. Um, quite the mute. Anything, anything to talk about rat for a long period of time. <laughs> I saw rat also, <laughs> but that's. I guess I have done a lot of stupid things lately. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he always says that he's just like you know, obviously owning this place. Like you know, these fucking kids today, they don't like to have fun. Like, it's true because everyone's an outsider and everyone's cult and everyone right, exactly. Just... But everybody's an outsider, and so like that music was mainstream. Yes, and and uh, as much as. You know, it became. I mean, the first year or two, George lived at Lemoore's back in the day and stuff. He's still, you know, his favorite band was Skid Row. Skid Row was a mainstream band. Yeah, they became mainstream. I mean, he was probably into it before it was. But Uh, no, he was. I'm pretty sure because he's a. Is he an MTV product? He's a year older than me, so yeah, probably, probably a bit of that. And you know, he, like. I don't know. I, I think maybe the, the being gay too was like in that time, and like there was probably an attraction to like this sort of femininity. Pretty to, men. I, I don't know. Maybe he's going to yell at me for saying that, but like, 
Pretty men, yes, pretty men. <laughs> Maybe he's never said anything like, like they were oh, better looking. Like, than I thought that guy was so hot, but but uh, but I would imagine that like in that age bracket, like you're 15, 16, like and you're going through that, that that would be something that might appeal to you, even though those guys were ultra misogynist and like they were straight up ignorant yeah i mean it's just like it's one of the weirdest combinations of things yeah it, it, it was a fascinating time i was always on the outside of that scene but my best friend growing up was into that stuff and you know the few bands crossed over to me but very few it wasn't my scene at all oh, I, mean, I, I i fucking hated it i hate oh yeah because i got lumped existed. in with it just for having long hair so I it like was Dokken. like i don't know why i like docking i'll still listen to docking i think docking's okay I have, a, I, have a, I have the first two Motley Crue records, Twisted Sister Forever, Wasp. Crew was pretty heavy. Rat, Rat's first three records. Crew was like decently heavy when they started. Yeah, and the first record is almost like New York Dolls kind of sweet. Like it's got the 70s glam, yeah. which I like. Yeah. I'm, I, but I, once I, the, um, the White Lion, Poison, Warren, I mean, I don't, I, I despise that music. Oh, yeah. That music is a different world to me, even though it might almost look the same and it got, got marketed the same. There's a world of difference if you were growing up in that time. It was like, this is catered to 15-year-old girls. It wasn't catered to hard rock, heavy metal musicians, but I think no, the other bands were a it, mix. Like the, just the idea of it calling it glam metal was just embarrassing. Like, the, yeah. the word metal should have never been used in, oh, yeah. involved in. It was like, it was hard rock at best. And yeah. <laughs> it was barely hard rock. Yeah. It's, it was, it's it, rock and roll. Yeah. It's rock and roll. It's like standard So it was rock a, and roll. Going back to the feel of the place... It was f- incredibly fun. First of all, I felt like I walked, through a, I walked through the door and it was like, it might as well have been a time doorway to 1988. It was fucking bizarre. Like women not fitting in slutty clothes say, anymore. Everybody not fitting in their clothes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These weren't even MILFs. These were like former MILFs. It was like, and just beat down dudes with drinking problems. Like it was, it was really fun and ridiculous. And uh, I hadn't been in a room where people were that fun and that atmosphere. What's wrong with beating down dudes with drinking problems? None. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it was just Fuck a, you, Ron. I, I just drink water. Is this an intervention? It is. Uh, <laughs> your family's showing up right now. Just we we put, set you up. We context. set you up with this Brad interview just to get you. <laughs> this, the, to put it in context, we're sitting at the bar. It's twelve fifteen, or what? Well, we started at twelve fifteen, and uh, I was like, "Damn!" I was like, I, "I I can't do this straight. I can't do this straight. Like, there's no way. I'm way too so. I'm way too quiet when I'm sober." So it's dark and gloomy here. I'm waiting for Bauhaus to come on. <laughs> it's like really, or for bats to fly around. But so anyway, yeah. The, the uh, so it was ridiculous. That's I mean, and I went to Rat three days later. Where was Rat? Was that at Paramount? Yeah. Was it crowded? Rat easily had 1,200 people there on a Wednesday. Wow. I mean, I'm that shit is. They they were one of the biggest bands. They had like big hits. They were. They and were. Last record. They I went put with. Out I went with Christian. Pretty good. Oh, and we sat in VIP, and I was amazed. There, there was a lady in the Ron, front row. How fucking unpunky in the VIP? What the fuck, man? Well, when you know people, you are fucking. <laughs> you're fired from the scene. I know. I'm so false. <laughs> you like wear a disguise. I'm so false. I'm sorry. Area. I should I just talk about. Uh, I'll talk about Cult of Fire and Bolzer for the next hour. No, please don't. Yeah. No. This no, is so anyway. Rat. Uh, was, fucking. Was, was was it a similar vibe at Rat? Was like people just having a. It was, but life. it was so crowded. It was less drinking and social. It was just packed in for a concert vibe. Right. The other one's like and a also, bar. Honestly, Mulcahy's is mostly a bar and club, and also it's right next to the train station, so people yeah. don't necessarily have to. You drive. can get shit housed and walk ten feet. The and get Paramount home. is a fucking pain in the ass to get to. Definitely, <laughs> like with just fucking driving there. It's a nice like, room, though. It's a great room, and I love the little speakeasy VIP bar on the side, and you know I love that Christian books it. Christian McKnight, very people who don't know. 
old Long Island guy, works for Live Nation. Good friend um, of ours. Who we uh, should interview. What's that? Who we should oh, interview. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have I Christian love him. He's one of my favorite people. Yeah. Like, he's a... Uh, He's got he's got good stories, and I can ask him about every show that ever that he booked that I played or didn't play because they all got canceled or they got moved. Like, like, it's just always <laughs> my my memories of Christian are always just like him having a meltdown outside of like a club because this is like hardcore days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody, those those didn't like, work out. We can't have the show here. We got to move it. It's like <laughs> you fucking moving a show the night of is insane, and that was pre social media. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, not like you could text was everybody. The show was there. They were standing yeah. outside. Yeah, they were in the in the parking lot. It was pre-fucking cell phones, for fuck's sake. So the best thing about Rat, I got to get back to Rat. Okay, yeah. And the best thing about being VIP was I get to look bird's eye view down at these people. And it's the same kind of people that at the other show, but it's more of a concert vibe, less of a drinking, partying vibe, because you're just in the room where the bands are. And there's this really, I'll be very PC, there was a, a woman with a weight problem <laughs> in the front row, and she was singing all the words into her mascara. She held it like a microphone, and not only was she singing every word, she was singing them all wrong. It's like she was singing, like, round and round to, like, you're in love. It was a train wreck to look at, it was, but I couldn't stop looking. God, see, this is why you need a fucking iPhone. I know. I have a flip-up. You I, got a fucking... This phone can video for, like, 20 seconds, but then it, like, explodes from heat. <laughs> it, like, literally, like, starts smoking. It was, it was this, amazing this, moment. This would have gone viral. My <laughs> it God. was bad. Wow. It was so good, But though. she was having a great time. She Which was is exactly what George would say if he was here right now. He said, "Fuck you." She was having he was incredibly time. happy and incredibly drunk at LA Guns Fest. Oh, sure. I walked in and he's alone at a table. Everyone else is standing up, laughing, partying, drinking, rocking out, and George is like alone at a table, looking like looking like an abandoned child. I mean, he looked shot. And he saw me and he lit up, and he woke up for ten minutes. But he looked like he had been there forever, probably. And he was also saying how great a time he was having. I guess he was just exhausted. But he was in his own. again without Ron. <laughs> yeah. And so he's probably sad now because I'm not with him. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was wild. And I don't know, man. That's where the money's at. But then on the flip side, Dangerous Toys played in Ron Conkama on Friday. And they packed like 100 people into a bar that's way smaller than your room. Wow. A, yeah. So it has to do with promotion. Who goes to see Dangerous Toys anyway? Yeah, and all those bands have insane amounts of money. Like we, we, I remember we talked to Kicks, and they wanted like ten grand or something. It was like, <laughs> what, are you fucking kidding? But you and see, then, then they Kicks... turn around and they play like fucking uh, Revolution, like, like Revolution, or they play BB Kings. Like, how much money are these people offering these fucking bands? Like, well, the weird thing I think is, with the right promotion, those bands still do well. But if you book them on the odd day at the odd place, no one shows up. It has to be through that. I think people. At that point in age, who grew up on that stuff, they're only in tune with certain clubs. So right. it's like if it's at Mulcahy's or Revolution of Paramount, they're down. But if you book them in some shit bar, people will be like, they're dude, gonna, I didn't even know that happened. Yeah, they didn't know. They aren't going to know what's yeah. happening. It's like yeah. when Blaze Bailey played around the corner from you. Oh, he's I heard here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> six people showed up at that because no one knew about it. We've already sold more than six tickets. <laughs> See, you've, you're in. It's that name, man, Vitus. It, it brings That's you into the double terrible. digits for Blaze Bill. Where, where did Blaze play? <laughs> he played that Coco whatever. Coco 66? He played there and there six people paid. Oh, my God. Because no one on earth knew about it. Wow. And someone told me A.J. Pirro played drums for it, which I hope isn't true because I'd want him to go out better than that. I mean, he went out with Adrenaline Mob, so I guess that's better. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, holy fuck, did that really happen? He went out Why with did he play? Mob, uh, uh, replacing our favorite person, 
And, you know, <laughs> not to be that shirt that says uh, it should have been Lars, but it should have been Mike Portnoy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we still got to get Jay in here to fucking yeah. tell that story. Yeah, we have to. Uh, I'm like, I'm like nervous we're going to get sued for slander or something. Yeah, uh, or punched <laughs> in the face by one of his goons. <laughs> but okay. um, we, we've talked about everything but Drew Stone so far. Yeah, so Drew. Anyone who wants to get Drew doesn't give a flying fuck about Rat or Dangerous Toys. Uh, he definitely doesn't. Although that, an- that last antidote record was, yeah. Well, that's that's uh, that's some like biker metal stuff. Yeah, that's in that Circus of Power meets. Uh, but Circus of, doesn't Circus of Power kind of they kind of got lumped in a little bit with the glam thing. But they were more like biker types. They maybe were all cause ex- of, maybe because MTV. But they were all ex- just like Antidote. It's like ex punk and hardcore guys who go into more Guns and Roses, Motorhead. Right, which Drew talks music about, direction and lifestyle. And, yeah, it's like they went in that vein. They started hanging out at. You know, I know all the clubs, but people probably won't. You know, yeah, yeah, hanging yeah. out at Scrap Bar instead of hanging out at CBs. Like, that kind of thing. It's right. like it's very New York thing. If you were around at the time, it made a lot more sense than it looks on paper if you just listen to the records. Right, right. It's like, you know, people grew out of one scene. It's well, kind of like the way late are. 80s hardcore kids became post-hardcore guys. A lot of the guys from their era went that direction. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I went thrash to hardcore to post-hardcore. Yeah, that's well. That's the late eighties in into mid nineties formula, right? And then, yeah, for a lot of people, not everyone. I, I there was, I mean, yeah, it was a lot more common than I wanted to think it was back then. <laughs> it was. You and always it, want to think you're you're the only one, but you're definitely not. Yeah, you're <laughs> such a martyr, man. I think it's, but I mean, in that scene, I think it's more like musical evolution and the oh, simplicity of scene like, politics. This gets alienated. If, if you play, it's only natural. To want to do different stuff. I mean, you can't. It's, it takes a very special personality to continuously play hardcore throughout your life. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like either that, or you're incredibly limited in your ability. Yeah, or you're really, really good at that one thing, and you just want to keep doing it. But like, I just, I never, uh, I never felt that way. You know, and it, it, it's funny. Like as a I, musician, it's very hard to feel that way. I think the best of both worlds is something like Walter, where he does all different. He gets voices. every part of him out. His youthful hardcore side, he has his old bands. His yeah. more experimental stuff and solo stuff, he gets out his newer stuff or his more developed ideas. And I, I think, think that's the template. I think try and do that, but it isn't successful. I think, what was it, Greg Graffin from Bad Religion just put out? He has, he has solo albums out yeah, since like the late like 90s. It's yeah. traditional folk. He always said, though, they asked him about Bad Religion. He said, I guess his way of saying that he had a lot of musical... Uh, he liked a lot of different kind of music. He would always say, this is what we're best at. Right. So I think before he had the avenue to go solo, he just stuck to bad religion because it was like, well, this is how we grew up. This is what we're best at. It's working. Yeah. And then I guess the artist and musician in him was like, well, I want to do more than this. So, But to his credit, I mean, he started a, t- a different entity. It's when a hardcore band or a band develops a legacy and keeps that name and changes it completely is when they ruin everything. Right. A, a, a different avenue is great. People should have ten bands if they have ten different things in their head. Yeah, I mean, it's, but you it's, shouldn't do it under the umbrella of something that was strictly something. Then you a, ruin this it. This is an interesting segue into bands that reunite, especially nowadays, which we're seeing. A, a, you know what we were talking about, Sacred Reich the other day, who I think we're going to have on the podcast or like like um, shit like that, where a lot of these bands have gotten back together and. and I, I started thinking about like their age group, and I was like, "Oh, it's probably because their kids are grown up now." So like, they yeah, because they're probably in college, so, they so they're can free go back again. out and do stuff. And, Definitely. And uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, but it's always weird when they put out new records or new music because because they can rarely tap into well, it. It's not. It's it, the reason they can't tap into it is because 
as the listener, we got into it when our brains were still developing, when that, that sort of yeah. that thing that excites you about new music is, is there. And it's like, like you can't – there's no way to recapture that when you're hitting a demographic that's like in their 40s. It's very hard. It's the only band recently that plays here all the time, and I just heard their new record, who totally tap into it, is the new Blood Feast record. Oh, yeah? Sounds like it came out in 1988. The vocals, they have a different singer who I personally don't like as See, much. See, that's smart, man, to fucking make it retro. Sound oh, it's, but it's not retro and polished. It's, it's raw and energetic. They sound like they're 19. It doesn't just sound like that style. They sound like they're 19 years old and hungry, cool. which is really hard when you're probably almost 50. I wonder, I wonder if Demolition Hammer's going to put out a new record. They're one of the few I think can pull it off, too, because yeah. live they have, that, they have that youthful energy Oh, man, still. that fucking shows. Those shows were nuts. I saw them in Maryland, and they were like 100 Hundred people circle pits in puddles because it was raining out. It was it was fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, I I, I heard the shows I, here were crazy. They were fucking insane. It was like it was like a Slayer show back in the day. Yeah, I mean, that's they what sound I a lot like Slayer, but it was uh, specifically early Slayer. But they uh, it was just like it it they capped they somehow captured that sort of violent. Thing that's what's lost. That Slayer. That's right, why well, I, because because when you get I mean, look at the Sacred Rite guys. Like they're like four hundred pounds each. You know what I mean? Like it's not. <laughs> That's crowbar. And, and, well, yeah. No, Sacred Rock. Remember? Dude, the fucking, they, yeah, we were there. They got. They got. They got big, and they like to talk about it on stage too. And yeah, they, they were joking about it. But they were, you know, they were. A, they're like they're a great band, and and, and criminally underrated. Yeah, I mean, well, they were just one of those bands that didn't quite get there. And they had they, the. They they were on a major. They, their last they played they toured in '91 with Pantera. I didn't go to that one, but and then they toured in '93 with Crowbar, and these records were on major labels. It just the, well, that whole scene had kind of the thrash thing was winding down. Yeah. Then as they Once were the on, Black Album came out, dude, like all bets things were off. changed. And, yeah, between that and Nevermind, all the the yeah, rules well, were changed. Nevermind was the big culture change, but that was more towards the glam thing. But, but Metallica matured thrash and ruined yeah. it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, like I wouldn't say they ruined it; they evolved. I'm not. I've never. I've never actually listened to the Black Album. Uh, I've I know, heard it. I, it's I too fucking long. It. You do. If well, you want to. Well, all their records are like 70 minutes long. It's just fucking ridiculous. But the songs were better then. That's just, <laughs> that just insults me. It insults me to make a 70-minute record. the first two records weren't that yes, long. Or King Crimson. But that's prog. That's different. <laughs> they shouldn't be... No one is in expecting it from a prog. Thrash metal band shouldn't write 70-minute records. That's the point. No. No, don't. God, what the fuck is wrong with you? Definitely not. I don't care if the CD format came out and it holds more music. That doesn't mean... I mean, so that Circle Jerks... Why. That was the reason why, though. They, yeah, because they could charge more money for it. Could you picture had... if Victim in Pain and Group Sex was 70 minutes long? I mean, I... it's a ridiculous premise. It's like, well, the format can hold it. No, make it 16 minutes. Make it great and get the fuck out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you know what I listened to today? It was uh, Dead Cross. So oh, how is that? It's pretty cool, man. Like, and who is it from The Locust it with Dave Lombardo? Like for Johnny Depp, Mike Patton, whatever. Um, <laughs> stop, stop ripping me off. I didn't rip you off at all. Never. Um, <laughs> you, you make those bird sounds? Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, that, uh, that dumbass yeah, shit he does. scream is really fucking high-pitched. Like, so who's in it? It's Lombardo, one of Lombardo, the guys from The Locust. Uh, yeah, uh, Jay Pearson. Um, uh, I don't know who the other guy is. I only glanced over. I was listening to it. I only glanced over it. But uh, is it out yet, or did you hear like an event? And Mike Patton. It's the one song is. And what's the verdict? It's cool, man. I like. It's pretty vicious sounding. You know, it's like and and it's he, on Ipecac, I guess. I think so. It, it it's uh, it's cool. Like they they still th- have a little bit of electronics in there. There's some of the cool Mike Patton vocal stuff, but for the most part, it's 
fucking screamy and heavy. They keep they keep using the word hardcore in the interview. That because I, I was like, oh, they're a new hardcore band. I was like, eh, this isn't really fucking hardcore. But, yeah, but I'm not. I gonna, heard a song and I'm it not wasn't pick it apart like that. You know, it's like that's like calling the Locust hardcore. You know, it's not hardcore. It's not. I mean, the template that Locust started from was hardcore, but I mean, it's noise. Only it's it's a very noisy, non-structured version of hardcore. If you're calling it hardcore, it's just chaotic. Yeah, it's It's just chaotic, aggressive music. Grindcore, except with electronics. You know, Uh, it's it's uh, it's cool though. I like it. You know, it's definitely it's better than it's better than a new new Faith No More record, which I really don't care about. So you know, it's cool to see him do something really aggressive too, because he rarely does. Yeah. I mean, I saw Mr. Bungle in 1990, I think, and you see him at Spit in Long Island. I no, that was the next night I saw him at the Marquee in the city. Oh, that was I can tell you that was in '91 because I was there. I I remember it because me and my girlfriend was at a fist fight. It was a great memory. It's always that's always nice. Yeah, it was a great night. Grotus opened. On alternative I think I told the story at Stanier when when Stan, we interviewed Stanier about how my, uh, Trevor Dunn took my shoe off and I had to like. Oh yeah, you did. That was and, a great story. Actually. And they were all in the masks and the outfits and stuff. Yeah, they were. That was fucking cool as shit. He was wearing a mask that night. Yeah, and he had uh, to. Uh, he took it off to have a beer at the bar, and girls chased him out the door, Nixon, like Nixon Beatles mask. monkey style. <laughs> like girls, like screaming, chasing him. It was. I mean, I don't feel bad for him, but like you know, it's. That's gotta I feel be, bad that's gotta after, be weird. after playing a 90-minute set and you just want to unwind and have a beer, it's ridiculous that you can't because girls are treating you like you're uh, fucking well, whatever. your first mistake and the thing that, I mean, you know, because this happens to me all the time. Um. <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, yeah, totally. Those death cycle shows, I had to get orders of protection. You will very rarely <laughs> find me hanging out at the club that I'm playing. I will yeah. always leave and go somewhere else. So why someone that, I mean, that's me, but why someone really famous? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Would, would do that and think that no one would bother them. There were only like 100 people left in the room. It was the end of the night. It was totally Doesn't winding matter, down. Dude. And I guess he felt like, oh, He's it's okay. Mike Patton. Yeah. Well, he was. Especially back then. Like, yeah. superstar, you know? Like, it was funny. Was huge. And that, that rock star mindset was still there. Like, he was... No, I don't, now think, he's look- I don't think for him, though. You know, like, I, don't, I don't think... Uh, I think there's guys that would chase him like that now. <laughs> like, people that think they're... You know, people that think they're different, but worship everything he does. Our next guest has arrived, as we haven't even finished the previous intro for Drew. Let's maybe, talk maybe about Drew for a minute. Shut the fuck up and, uh... Here, so Drew, anyway. Uh, early New York hardcore Boston guy. This is the intro for Sang for Antidote. Okay. He's making movies about many interesting topics. Has already made a movie on the Boston hardcore scene. Definitely worth checking out. The movie premieres May 19th in the city. That's sold out, but there are other dates. It's called the New York Hardcore Chronicles. He has Who the Fuck is Michael Alago coming out. He has Drew Stone Hit Squad, which is like an acoustic punk thing. We'll play, uh, we'll play a song or two. Oh, we can? Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He jammed it here. I yeah. forgot about that. I hope my... I don't get nailed for copyrights with the, I'm uh, sure with the we covers will. they did. Motherfuckers. Yeah. And, uh, I just didn't think of that. <laughs> a good guy, a good friend, and uh, very busy. So check out and support everything he does. And and thank and thank you for listening and supporting us. We yeah, and listen to us talk about Rat it, and Dangerous Toys. Yeah, and making it all the way through these incredibly long episodes. Stay uh, stupid. Yeah, here's Drew Stone on the Automatic Crowd. This was a Sham 69 song, If the Kids Are United. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Eins, zwei, drei, vier. For once in my life, I got something to say. I want to say now, because now is today. A love has been given, 
So let's all enjoy, so let's all give, and let's all enjoy. Cause if the kids are united, they will never be divided. If the kids are united, they will never be divided. So take a look around you, what do you see? Kids with feelings like you and me. Take a drink to understand you, for you are him and he is you. Cause if the kids are united, they will never be divided. If the kids are united, they will never be divided. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be denied. Then it's just my misfortune that I've opened up your eyes. One, two, three, four. Freedom is given. How do you feel? I have no freedom. How do you feel? You lie to my face, but not to my heart. If we stand together, that'll just be the start. Because if the kids are united, they will never be divided. Thank you, thank you. And uh, oh, well, it depends on, on, depends on if we say stupid shit that we don't want who's, people who's to hear. These? Can I open it? What do you got there, Drew? Dark chocolate raisins. Oh. Fantastic. Okay. Hey, are you are you getting some sound there? Ron? Am I alive? Yeah, you're alive. Hey, man. Hey, Drew, you want to give me some chest? All right, chest. I think we're all One, chest. Two. <laughs> How close do I need to be? You're like perfect, this? man. I guess so. You're perfect just the way you are. <coughs> get, get that chewing yeah. fucking right yeah. on the mic. Do it. Yeah. It's beautiful. Let me know when we're going. Hey, welcome to the Automatic Crowd, the St. Vitus uh, Bar Podcast. Uh, I'm Artie. Hey, what's up? I'm Ron. And uh, today's guest is the venerable Drew Stone. Hello. How's everybody doing? And thank you for having me. Documentary filmmaker. Um, rock, uh, punk rock god, shall we say. Uh, I didn't know you were God. Old scene star. I'm not God at all. <laughs> <laughs> Can you curse on this thing? If you don't, oh, please. Give me a fucking break. Yeah, is that yes or no? Yeah. Fucking, no, I am Goff. God of fuck. <laughs> 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 I am not God. I am Goff. I feel like off uh, off mic I got Drew's full life story, but I want to. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it was good. So you already have the podcast? I, I used to live on West 86th Street, and that's where Drew lives now. So. Oh. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, we we but were you. we were neighbors, but he well, didn't live there at the time. time. No. Oh, well, that's why. <laughs> so you no. No, I was just neighbors with like Kevin Bacon and like. Uh, oh, I'm friends with his son who plays a club every two days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm friends. I'm friends with his son too. Yeah. 
Um, What's up, Travis? Hi, Trav. Uh, anyway, yeah. What's up, dude? You're busy. You're a busy fucking guy. There's a lot going on. You're a busy um, fucking guy. Let's get to let's get to plugging. Let's get down the brass. Tacks. Let's get to fucking plugging before we got to hear about. Uh, your fucking life. Well, I got two films coming out this summer. Uh, one of them is the New York Hardcore Chronicles film, which uh, people are very excited about, and the other one is Who the Fuck Is That Guy? The Fabulous Journey of Michael Alago, which uh, is heading to Netflix, and um, awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So both films, the Lago film I've been working on for four years, the hardcore film I've been working on for three years, and as it turns out, they're both you know crossing the finish line at the same time. So uh, it's, it's got to be intense. Yeah, it is, man. It, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Yeah, documentary um, editing has to be like fucking. Brutal. What's that? Doc- editing documentaries has got to be because it's fucking I, interviews. Like you, got, you know that that part is okay. That, that's that's easy, man. That, all that stuff is that's the easy part. What I'm dealing with now is just. Um, you know, cause I'm, I'm pretty much a one man show, you know, I'm not, right. I'm not part of a production, big production company. And I don't, I don't have a lot of, you know, I've always, I, I'm, you know, I'm last of the, I'm last of the, uh, independent, uh, filmmakers, so to speak, you know, true, DIY true, filmmaker. true DIY filmmakers. So it's just you, you're doing, it's just me. Yeah. Everything. And, yeah. and I mean, I previously in, in previous incarnations, I've, I've had, um, you know, infrastructure, production company, other people. But, you know, working on these two films for the past years, um, it's really been just me. And, you know, it's been kind of like a slow burn. So, like I said, you know, being that they're both finishing at the same time, you know, everything's fucking hitting the fan at once here. And with screenings and, and bookings and, and, and the logistics and, and just the whole ordeal with finishing the films, like... You know, the hardcore film is one thing. It's very, um, it's very DIY and very like, you know, it's it's punk rock. You know, the Alago film is going to Netflix, and and in order for something to be on Netflix, all the T's have to be crossed and the I's have to be dotted, and releases have to be for everyone, everything. Um, you know, music releases, publishing, master. You know. Uh, it's it's really it's really intense yeah. and uh, really involved and a little. Have you had any problems as far as uh, musical rights? Because you deal with. Have I had any pro- Have I had any problems? Have, I had, <laughs> had, have you had no problems? problems. <laughs> no, it, I, I think doing something like this is basically you know how you grapple with one problem after the other. That's what right. it is. I mean, that's what all this is is just dealing with one fucking disaster after another. You know. <laughs> Um, and, and what your resilience is, you know, to a certain extent. So, um, the Lago film, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't want to say big shots, but there's a few names in the, in the Lago film. Um, Cindy Lauper, Eric Bogosian, Rob Zombie, um, John Lydon, uh, the Metallica guys, um, you know, that, that's like the A-list. And then the B-list is like Phil Anselmo, Mina Caputo, uh, Cheetah Chrome, uh, Kurt Vanderhoof from Metal Church, who I saw play right here at St. Vitus. Yes, uh, I, was, I was here. Yeah, it was great. That was a great show. They were the first band that wouldn't strike their drum kit. Oh, really? Yeah. Of all the bands that played of all the band, Well, they were the first one that wouldn't dr- strike their it's drum kit. It's, ha- it's happened since? Yeah, it's happened. But I, I got fair warning beforehand. Right. Yeah, now, nowadays you don't have four openers if you're not going to strike your drum kit. It's not, right. It's not very nice. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, there was a lot of um, – there was a lot of named people in that film and 
you know, um, with with what's uh, what's like Phil's r- relation to Michael Alago? Like what? I, I mean, Phil Anselmo, uh Alago didn't sign Pantera, but uh, they've been friends for a long time. And of course, Alago is just the you know the lover of heavy and hard music. So you know, he's always you know. Been in love with Phil and Salmo. Gotcha. Okay, it makes sense. Yeah, you know, I, I was, you know. Yeah, I'm just trying to do, like. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that, and, 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 and that's that's a that's a valid question. Because the other people are on the, on his label and assigned by him directly. Most, most of them, part, yeah, right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, he signed he signed you know Leiden and Pil to Electra. Of course, he signed Metallica to Electra. He signed Zombie to Geffen. He signed uh, Vanderhoof and Metal Church to um, Electra. Um, he signed. No, he A and R'd Cindy Lauper's. Oh, okay. Um, okay. You know, Cindy Lauper brings him in to A and R her records. Understood. Because she can appreciate like his ear and and what he brings to the party. Right. You know, so you know he's sort of like um, a mercenary A and R guy. Interesting. You know, he, he'll listen to like s- apparently uh, you know Cindy did this this blues record. And, oh, I remember that, yeah. I remember that. Right. School. So, yeah. Alago, friend George on that. Alago A&R dad. I mean, Alago. So, she brought Alago in, and Alago would go over to her house, and they'd listen to records together and kind of pick out. So, he was doing real A&R. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. what, that's what real A&R is. Oh, yeah, know? yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean. The repertoire part. Yeah, I mean, what Alago does <laughs> runs the gamut a little bit. I mean, he just got a deal for, for John Bloodclot and his band with, with Todd Blade, Youth. Right? Yeah, through Metal Blade. So, he kind of went out and got that deal. Yeah, he's know? been here a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, he comes all the time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he comes when I fucking drive him. That's when he comes. Uh, (laughs) That's right. That's right. I I didn't. Uh, Fuck that day. We came out to Metal Church. (laughs) And then then when. Yeah. No, not fuck Zach. He's all right. I don't even think Zach knows where he is. I don't don't think he had a clue where he was. He was cool, though. Yeah. Oh, no. He's he's a wonderful guy. I've met him a couple times. Mm. Wonderful guy. His tour manager is a fucking dick. (laughs) Anyway. This happens. Yeah. Regularly. Unnecessarily. But yeah, so that's the case with the Ilago film. You know, I got to deal with a lot of, uh, a lot of paperwork and, and um, a lot of, ha- you know, for Netflix having to deliver, you know, certain ratio of this and that and master and, and yeah. you know, it's, it's like. Um, Did you have to buy the rights to the songs me? you used? Did you have to buy the rights to the songs you used? Or uh, was yeah. it all a negotiation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, look, you know. I wasn't sure if some of the artists might have just been like, yeah, it's cool, don't worry about it. Doesn't know, matter what Michael they say. Oh, Who it's cares their, what they say? Their publisher, yeah. Rob Zombie, yeah, you can use all my music gratis. Warner, uh, cut to, you know, uh, Warner Chapel. Fuck you, pay me. Right. We, 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 um,. You know, advanced him half a million dollars right, on his publishing a few yeah, we years need to ago. Make it back. Yeah, we need course. to recoup. We yeah. don't care who you are, what your relationship. We don't care if the guy you're making the film about is the guy that signed him to the big record label, therefore giving us the, you know, the job, you know, turning him into what he is so we could make millions of dollars off him. We don't care. Yeah. It's fucking. Fuck you, pay me. It's a. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then, you know, in. in uh, direct contrast to that, you have the hardcore film, which is like, yo, Drew Stone, you're the guy to do this. We're psyched. Whatever you need. Now, let me ask you. There's been, there's been quite a few New York hardcore documentaries made. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> you made one about Boston, correct? Yes, I did. Uh, which I don't think I've seen. It's uh, okay. It's uh, really good. 
Yeah, I'd, I mean, it's I'd, all right. I'd like to see it minus my hatred of. Most I was going to bring. I was funny. I was going to bring but, it, and, and that, uh, something had me not. I don't know. <laughs> we watched it for the first time since the. I mean, I saw it probably like two or three times when it came out, but. Uh, it's great. I think you covered that time period. Perfectly. Yeah, it's, so you I, lived. You lived there. You went to school there. Right? Well, I. It's it's a strange thing because some people think I'm a Boston guy, but uh, no, I grew up in New York City. I went to Emerson College in the in the summer of 1981 to study acting right. at Emerson, and as soon as I showed up, I fell into the hardcore thing. Right. And then you know I got involved in that whole thing. How did that happen? What what uh what was like the first? What was the show you went to? Did yeah, you room you with somebody? Was there all right. Here we go. Come on, stories. You Let's go. It. All right, you got it. So I show up at Emerson, and I'm a freshman, and I'm living in the dorm, in the Charles Gate dormitory in the back bay of, of Emerson. And, um, you know, we go to the cafeteria for, 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 you know, as a freshman, right, for breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever. And I just got up there, and we're, we're in the cafeteria, and um, one of the first people I met was this uh, gal named uh, Katie the Cleaning Lady. That she calls herself. She she's she's a you know, she was a heavy set a punk gal. And um, was I she met actually the cleaning? Was she very pivotal in the scene? Was she the cleaning lady of the cafeteria? No, she got yeah. that nickname. No, no, it was a nickname that she got from some weird funny nicknames. It had nothing to do. She wasn't a cleaning lady. But anyway, <laughs> so early on, um, um, you know, we go eat in the in the cafeteria, and I see this guy. I see this guy, and he has his head shaved, and I'm thinking, what's up with that? And Katie introduced me to him. I want. I wanted. You know. And, and so. Um, to preface, were you already a punk rock kid? No, not at all. So, what were you listening to yeah, at this were point? Where you coming from before this? Well, I came up from. I came up from New York. Um, were you? Were you like a theater kid in high a what? school? What? Were you a theater guy in high school? Like um, a drama? A little bit, but I, I was into. I was into. Um, Rock and roll. It's into Southern rock. I grew up in the Bronx, okay. and strangely enough, where I grew up in the Bronx, there was this really strong contingent of Southern rock. I so, did not know that existed. So, yeah. like Skinner and Skinner, Allman Brothers, Molly Hatchett, Outlaws. Outlaws. First band, yeah. first concert I ever saw was uh, was Marshall Tucker Band, wow. um, Outlaws, Marshall Tucker Band, Molly Hatchett, Allman Brothers, Leonard Skinner, Charlie Daniels Band. No, that was That's big. That's my, my out of the history of the Bronx. It sort of has. My sister is the same age as you, I think, and mm-hmm. that's what she was listening to. Yeah. So I went to so I went to public I went to Kennedy High School in the Bronx, mm-hmm. public high school. And um, you know we were into we were into rock and roll. I mean, like 1980, right? Picture that in through the outdoor. Led Zeppelin came out. Pink Floyd, The Wall came out. But I, I was really um, as a as a young teenage, teenager, probably the first uh, the first records I got and the first artists that really influenced me were probably uh, Frank Zappa. Um, I got Frank Zappa apostrophe, and that was a, a huge influence. That's a, a fucking weird one. Yeah, to, that's a, you know for a high school kid. Yeah. Like, so I mean, the Zappa first record I ever got was Elvis Presley, but you know Elvis and then and then Zappa, Allman Brothers Band, and the Grateful Dead. Got the it. Grateful Dead were a huge early influence. As as a very young as a very young teenager, I um I took off and, and left home and um, filed the Grateful Dead around the country oh, wow. when I was like sixteen years old. Wow. So was this that, is when I was I was very very were young. You, were you doing drugs? I was, yes, absolutely, and. Uh, Doing drugs and at a very young age, I mean, 16 years old, and I, you know, I was connected within that scene, and we knew people that manufactured LSD. Right. So we wasn't there just one. There was like one 
group of people who made all the LSD that was sold. And the Grateful Dead tours were basically just a fucking front. Pretty much so. For, for selling it, that if, particular brand. If you're, if, if, you, if, you're referring, if you're referring to the Brotherhood, it, it, was, it was kind of like a... a it was in-house almost, right? Mm, yes and no. Um, there was sort of a mutual. Everyone kind of knew what was going on, but there was a there was a a, a, a crew called the brother uh, um, the Brotherhood, and uh, they were manufacturing LSD, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we were sort of we were in line with that, and um, so we would we were going around the country, and in every show at every show we would turn up, you know we would just ask, you know we would speak to you know uh, the right person and basically get like a sheet fronted to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I remember, if I'm remembering this correctly, Jesus. If, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, they were, we were fronted a sheet, which was 100 very powerful hits of acid for 62 bucks. So then fr- 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 from that, from the six, from that, what were they selling for then? We, would, right. we, we, would, we would do one for three, two for five. Oh, my God, that's oh. cheap. Yeah, oh, man, shit. this is this a is, great markup. This is 19. You keep in mind, this is 1980 or right. 79, yeah, right. 80, you know, that kind of thing. So, Yeah. So I was involved in that, and, and it, was, it was a really, for a very young teenager, it was very exciting. It was like riding the rails, you know, and seeing the country. And um, I saw all of America like that. Look, luckily, you weren't selling grilled cheese. Who were you out there with? Were you with other friends? <laughs> I was out there with other kids, yeah. you know. Who um, you already knew or met then? Both. Yeah. Huh. Both. So, mo- so what did your parents think about this? Well, my, well, my parents never – my parents certainly weren't square, per se. My dad was a, fil- was a, you know, was a film director. and. Right. And, um, you know, they weren't happy about it, but, you know, it was my passion, you know. Um, I tried to do the best I can with school, but, you know, I mean, I worked it around my, you, you got know. It, you got into Emerson, so that's yeah. not bad. Well, I, yeah, the, yeah, I, I, got, I got into Emerson because I was doing acting and modeling in, 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 as a teenager and um, was doing some theater stuff. Right. And actually, my last year and a half of school, I did very well. Mm-hmm. And and uh, got straight A's and stuff and, and did very well. well I'm I'm fascinated acid. by I'm fa- yeah it's right exactly third yeah. eye he squeegeed your third eye yeah you tapped in um, the the uh, well I got thrown so out a, I, I I got thrown out of um, Kennedy High School for in what? the Bronx for selling drugs Ugh. and then I ended up going to um, a private school in the city called the Tutoring School which was very small uh, classes mm-hmm. and. I, I really flourished in, in that environment. That's great. Yeah. That. Absolutely. I, I, I got my shit together. Good. I mean, I, you know, I, whatever. I won't get into my I, – I believe that there's always like a moment that every yeah. kid can possibly have who's a bad student that will change them. And, well, I must say know, there was a big difference between going to Kennedy High School in the Bronx where there was, you know, 50 kids in a class yeah. and going to, um, you know, the tutoring school where there was, you know, less than 10 kids in a class. Right. It's the sort of attention that I as – you know, a very unfocused sort of juvenile delinquent needed, and uh, I, I, I did well, and that's what enabled me to go to Emerson. So it's a long way from selling drugs and following the Grateful Dead to uh, being in the Boston yeah. hardcore scene. So, uh, so, so, so you meet right. you meet the cleaning lady. So, so <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm in the um, cafeteria, and I'm introduced to this skinhead, and he says. I say, hey, well, so I introduce myself. Uh, so I say, you know, what are you into? And he said, well, I'm into hardcore. And I said, hardcore? I, what do you mean? Like, like B-52s, Joan Jett? Like, you know. New wave, you're thinking. I, I had no reference point right. for this. You yeah. know what I mean? I literally, I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Blondie, 
Joan Jett, I thought that was my card of like, right. oh, right. you're you're, <laughs> you're into hardcore, like yeah. Joan Jett? Hardcore know? lesbians. Right. You're into hardcore, <laughs> like... Were you into the Ramon Jett even, or not even? I mean, from New York, yeah, at least I had to know who they were. And I saw them play, but to me... Or was that more than the rock and roll thing because of that 50s? And- we saw them at Central Park at the at the Schaefer concert in the park. And, right. you know, we, 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 we saw um, – I saw the Ramones, but they didn't really resonate. They didn't really resonate with me. And the Sex Pistols didn't resonate with me either. To me, it was like punk rock was just like, you know, jump around and, and like put a safety pin in your face and, yeah, and, and like be bullshit. destructive. Like that like was – The way the media portrayed it at the time. That was my perception of it. I didn't – I didn't – I didn't – I wasn't um, connected to it, but by any means, it, it, it was still it was still very much it was out of my grasp. It was it was still not. You hadn't seen it face to face in real life. I, had, I did see it face to face. Oh, you did. I saw I saw Suicide and the Misfits in 1978. Hurrahs! It just I, I couldn't. Where was that? I couldn't. Was that? Where was the? That was at Haraz. No, oh, Haraz was right where I used to go to school. It was on Broadway off um, uh, 62nd Street. Haraz. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I couldn't. I couldn't connect to it. Uh, right. We thought suicide was hilarious. It was like two guys up there, like like bugging out, and we just thought it was like silly. We were into southern rock, man. Like real music, <laughs> yeah, bro. Wow. Like fuck that stupid punk rock bullshit. I Zeppelin, we, bro. Fuck that, man. Fucking, you know, we were into like fucking Dickie Betts and fucking, you know, like fuck that. We listen to fucking real music, man. Not that stupid punk rock bullshit. Yeah. Like. You know, you ever see you ever see um, the movie The Warriors? Of course. Yeah. Remember the scene when they were in the remember the scene when they were in the subway and and That's and, the whole movie. And, and, and and the guys the guys were on the roller skates. Yeah. Like they called them the punks. Yeah, that was a classic scene. Those were the kids that I grew up with, and those that was my crew. The overalls, the the white kids, like like the white kind of trashy kid. That, that I look at that and I'm like, oh shit, that's like that was literally my crew, and that was the kind of we'd go out. On the weekends and, and sneak and come, go into the city and, and just look for fights and just get into shit, man. That's that's like what I did when I was that age. But anyway, so, so I met meet the skinhead guy and he's like, "Yo, dude, come fucking let's rock. Well, I want to bring no, you to a so, show." So what, what are you? So what are you into? You know, hardcore. I'm like, you know, I said like he said like Black Flag. I said like the bug spray. And he, he said, look, that's a, new, it's he, a valid I mean, answer. That's, probably what I <laughs> that's something I heard. That's, it's funny because that's something that I heard many, many times after. But um, he said, look, why don't you come with me this weekend and we'll go to a show? I like this guy. He's like a recruiter. Yeah, right. He's like uh, Ray Capo. He's like a fucking uh, cult leader. Right. Yeah. So, so okay. well, well I, was asking, <laughs> I was asking questions. I was like kind of up for it. It sounded interesting. I was an adventurer by nature. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And um, so he says, why don't you come with me this weekend, right? So that weekend um, – so th- the skinhead turns out to be this guy, Jack Kelly. Oh, he's, from he's Slapshot. Yeah. So it was Choke. Right. Yeah. And that was the beginning of my, uh, my friendship, in lack of a better term, with Choke. And, uh, you know – Did negative effects already exist? No, dude. This is, not, this, this is, this is summer of 81. Oh, it's a good year or two before. Well, a few – so we go on our skateboards on that, you know, Sunday afternoon, and we skate down to Boylston Street to an art space up on the fifth floor called the, um, the, media, the, the media Workshop. And it's just this very raw art space. There's no stage. There's, 
a band, a band playing in the corner. There was maybe, maybe 20 kids there. And it turns out to be uh, the band was SSD Control. And it was, I think, the third show that they ever played. So they finished playing. And um, I, 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 lo- you know, I loved it. It was, it was kids my age. And it was all kids my age. And there was the connection. It wasn't people on a stage that were many years older than me. And there was a big gap in between that, which is the way I felt with seeing all these other acts. These were kids my age. And so, and also there was 20 kids there. And this was the very, the early um, days of slam, of of slam dancing. Mm -hmm. So, and I jumped right in, like, you know, just, I was like, I just jumped right in. and, And it was just, it was very early, every embryo, very embryonic, you know, it was like, you know, just a few people doing it. You fall down. There wasn't like you know some mob scene. It was like you jump in. You kind of like of you, you jump in. You like, do your thing. You jump you. out. There's you know, <laughs> and um, so after the band played, uh, the guitar player uh, took his guitar off and, and and approached me, and the other guys in the band approached me, and they wanted to know who I was. And um, were you the only person there that they didn't know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I funny. assume so. It yeah, small. And that yeah, yeah. But no, Jack brought. They you. wanted to know who I was. And was was Jack Kelly called Choke at the time? Yes, he was. Okay. Yes. He was just starting. He was just. I'm saying yes, but I seem to remember him saying to me, "I want to be called Choke now." And originally, it was he wanted to be oh, called Choke so Strangle, or it was a Choke what? Sterile. That's yeah. Terrible. Yeah, choke yeah, strangle yeah, or choke bad, sterile. Bad branding. But then it just then yeah, it, he made the right call. I think chokes <laughs> chokes the move. I think it was choke sterile. But actually, so <laughs> what the fuck? I do remember him saying, "I want to be called choke." So so probably He's when known I, for saying dumb things, but that might be on top of the list. Yeah. So <laughs> so anyway. I met I met the SSD control guys, and um, I ended up falling right in with them, and uh, I became like one of the first guys in the Boston crew I shaved my head and kind of got into the click there and SSD control and I'm thanked on the first SSD control record and we took road trips everywhere and then of course you know gangrene and Jerry's kids and the FUs and then I later right with proletariat right I was there I was I was here I was here and then um I I started a band called the mighty CEOs and we started playing shows and was you that know, guys from that original crew of twenty that you were in that band with, or is it later kids that came in? It was after you? It, it, those the kids that I got into the Mighty CEOs with were kids that were actually in Nashua, New Hampshire, that were kind of looking for a bass player, and I went and and got involved with them, but my bass playing wasn't very good, so I ended up singing, and then I ended up that was the first band I was in, and we played with you know we played the Gallery East and. You know, but but that first show I went to, that very early on show, it was very small scene. It was there was twenty kids. Right. I mean, twenty kids. There was there was ten kids with another ten people that were maybe just passing through. And how fast did did it grow? It grew it grew pretty fast. Yeah. It grew pretty fast because in Boston, what happened was, um, being that Boston at the time, and I can't emphasize this enough. It was an incredible music town. It, it was still a, is. It was a college town. It still is. But this, yeah. was the, this was really when, you know, there was college radio and so many clubs, and it was so, so you vibrant. You a lot of young people yeah. in one place. Right. Yeah. So we were, the, we were the Boston crew, and we were skinheads, and that people – look, the only people that were shaving their heads at the time were Marines and psychopaths. 
So we got noticed and, you know, we got a lot of attention. So it, it, it snowballed. It, it started snowballing. I mean, you know, right away, right away it started snowballing. And, and you know, we, we, we would drive to New York to see Minor Threat, at, you know, in Bad Brains. And, you know, it's, it's just, we would drive to New York. So, I mean, when it was, uh, wasn't it Johnny Stiff who was talking about the weird thing with the Boston hardcore? Well, that, all through the early 80s. There yeah. Was, yeah. He you, said I'm sure you were kind of neutral on all that, but there was a lot of beef. Well, yeah, because you were from New York. So you well, well, the thing about that was that that didn't exist at that was first. Later. That was later. It, not, not that, that didn't exist super early on. Like, we're talking, like, I was coming down, with, you know, 81, 82 with these guys and, you know, SSD control playing the A7 and... SSD control playing. Um, whenever SSD control played somewhere, we all got in the van and and supported. I mean, DC, Philly, and were you, did you become friends with the New York crew people? Which would be what, like the Chromax guys? No, no, no. I assume agnostic. Chromax, Chromax, the Chromax didn't start playing until well. Chromax guys. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say they were around. Not yeah. the Chromax, the band, but the right. guys who were in the band. Um, there, there was certain. You know, legendary New York characters that that couldn't be you know ignored. I mean, Harley was around, Stigma was around, um, you know, uh, Johnny Stiff was around. You know, these are these are you know people that th- this was kind of like the New York scene. But the New York scene was very different than the Boston scene. You know, it was it was a very different kind of uh, kind of a different vibe. I mean, look, it, it was it was a dangerous world back then. Yeah. So like, we would come down in our van. You know, we'd come down, you know, with our, you know, in, in two vans and stick together and go to, the, you know, and like do our thing. And you know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the summer of love. You know what I mean? It was like you stick with your fucking people. You had each other's back. Yo, espe- especially, you know, you go down to play the A7 in 1982. I mean, that was like downtown Beirut there. It was a dangerous yeah. place and, and, and creepy and scary for, for a teenager, you know? So... But it was cool because back then the scene was so small that even even it, it, it cross pollinated. Even in a place like New York, it was like, "Hey, we're in it. You're in it. Yeah, it's I cool." Mean, that to was s- the bond. That right. that was the bond back then. It was always the thing about the hardcore scene that I never ever understood. You know, when I got into it in the late '80s and the and the early '90s and whatnot, and like how why people would fight within the scene, which yeah. is like, dude, we're we're all fucking fucked, right? You know what I mean? Like, well, why, why are you fighting each other? Well, you know, because like, by then people were. Going into little subgenres, and it was it wasn't so small that you had no choice but to stick together. Then there was the typical infighting and the leaders' bullshit. Well, I, it's interesting because the the hardcore film that I did uh, addresses that. It, 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 oh, okay. Because yeah. it got really bad in New York later on. Yeah, the hardcore film I, I, that that you um, got into the gang stuff. And well, somewhat, yeah. The street culture that yeah. kind of infiltrated. Yeah. I mean, it was always the street culture was always there, but it became different. Well, it was street music originally, so it had the choice. Yeah, but, it, but then the whole it got thing. like more organized inside it. Yeah, Which, you know, I mean, yeah, without 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 delving too far into it. <laughs> well, there's always look. There's always uh, progression, or, or let's say there's always movement. I don't know if I want to call it progression or degression, yeah. but there's always movement. And in any kind of social movement, you know, the wave goes in and the wave goes out. And and there's always know, bad apples in anything. Of course, yeah. in any, in anything. But you know. You know, we're talking about the first wave of American hardcore, which was like basically 80 to, you know, I'll, you know, be generous, 83. You know, by, by that, by 83, a lot of people of, were out by then. And then the next kids came in, and which was, you know, 83 to, let's say, 85. Every two or three years, there was right. a new cycle of kids. Right. So, 
you know, things things sort of people cycled out, new people came in, right. you know, with a different sort of mentality. And uh, I think that has a lot to do with what happened to us, Ron? Do with it as well. How do we fucking stay in this shit? Uh, I, I have where to go. We should we should have oh. needed to figure out how to monetize it. Uh, Jews I, figured out how to monetize. <laughs> let's not get carried away. <laughs> but uh, I don't let's know how not to monetize get anything. <laughs> that's that's true. Agree. I forgot. Yeah. So, you know, well, what are you talking about? You're you're a world famous uh, record seller. I'm a I'm a hustler. I'm a hustler. I'm a hustler. How much? Yeah. <laughs> how much, cutie? Oh, you were just we on the phone too, making fifty third and third. <laughs> I haven't opened up that much yet. <laughs> right. I'm not Didi. Right. But um, but yeah, I mean that's what happened. So I got I got involved with the Boston hardcore thing and. I kind of crapped out to school. I crapped out of school while I was up there. I just I just couldn't focus on school. I was too wrapped up in in the music thing and hanging out with my friends. And it was an exciting time. And I I, I kind of uh, stopped going to school. And then after a while, it kind of didn't make sense to um, be up in Boston anymore. You know, How long were you up there? Um, soup to nuts. I was there for for um, not even two years. I went up there in the in the um, in August of 81, and I think, and I came back to New York, like, I think in May of, of 83. I did, and, and you also, came back to the Bronx? I, no, when I came back after that, I was on my own. I, I, um, I, I had to get a job and start working, and, and I got a place in Queens, and, and then, you know, one thing led to the other, and I started the High and the Mighty, and then I ended up in Antidote, you know? So, right. so things... I came back with the intention of starting a band in so New the York. The Mighty started in 83 and lasted until yeah. 84, and then you ended up in Ando, correct? Yeah, one segued into the other, and there was overlap between both bands, yeah. But well, as soon as I came back um, from, from Boston, now the thing is, like, I was back all the time. You know, it's like, you know, I was back for, you know, the first year, like Christmas vacations and, and you know, and the you summer. Start going, you started going to shows regularly Always. when you were home. I mean, even even from the first time I went, I went to that first show in Boston, I was going to shows in New York. We would drive to New York and go to a show if I was home for Christmas. When, when, when I, um, I, went to the, I went to my first Harker show up there in like August of 81, by the time I came back for um, Christmas – the first thing I did was I saw Black Flag at the Mud Club and I saw Bad Brains at the Peppermint Lounge in, in, in December of 82. Wow. So I was going to the A7. I was back. Even when I came back, I was like, oh, cool, I'm back in New York. What's going on? Right. And, and going out like every fucking night. But did you know the New York scene people enough that by coming up here enough from Boston that you were comfortable in it? Did you have your like – Well, no. I, yeah, you know, I, I think that part of it was that I, I was always pretty fearless – and went out a lot by myself mm-hmm. and because it was that important to me. You know, the stuff was that important to me. And um, I, would, uh, I would brave the elements. Like I remember when I came back in December, I went to see Black Flag at the Mud Club by myself. And it was a little scary, you know, because, you know, like I said, you know, you walk into a scene where you don't know any, anybody. I and, those days like it was yesterday. Yeah. Those first half a dozen shows yeah. where you don't know anyone – you know, it's intense. It's not like I, I mean, maybe a young kid now feels that same intimidation, but the climate and culture was so different then that it was edgy and, you know, you weren't at home. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but look, I, I, I fell in early on. I mean, I was accepted kind of early on. I mean, I never had any, I never had any fucking problem with anybody, you know? I mean, I was hanging out. I mean, I, I, 
Yeah, I don't have any problem with anybody. What's the single greatest show you saw? Of of what era? Let's I go, mean, let's, let's, go, go, let's go early. I was going to give you your 10 questions that you yeah. give everybody else. I'm going to do one of those 10 oh, questions. Totally. Yeah, oh, let's, let's, let's save it for your own. But, but of but that, of that very those. early on era? Yeah. From 81 83. Well, say. many. Um, er, many. And, um, but I, I would say that um, early on, I recognized that Minor Threat was great mm-hmm. and that they were special. So I would see Minor Threat any chance that I could get. Were you straight edge? Um, I had a straight edge moment. Mm-hmm. But I, I struggled with was being... Was you influenced I, from the bands? I had or one this morning. Or were you finding morning. that on your own? What's that? Were you influenced from that stuff? Oh, or did you just kind of... No, no, no. I was totally own. influenced by Minor Thread, who had the song Straight Edge. Right, and the okay. whole Boston crew, I mean, a lot of those guys were Straight Edge. Mm-hmm. But I struggled because I was from New York. And like I said, we were into Southern Rock and, and all that. And I always liked smoking pot. You know what I mean? As a teenager... Your you know? past was anything but straight edge. Yeah, my past was anything with straight edge. And then I was like, I got to know the Bad Brains guys, and I'm like, you know, smoking pot with HR and all that. So you can't say no to that. What's that? <laughs> you can't say no to that. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I got pretty tight with HR and, and those guys, and I was smoking pot with them. So, so I wasn't really – I think I, if I remember correctly, I gave the straight edge thing a go for like a few weeks. I just I – just, it was hard. I was, I, was, I was a freshman. I was a freshman living in, a, in a, the, the dorm. It was like – it was like... And the drinking age was 18 back then. And the drinking age was 18, and it was a big fucking party. So it was Animal House, basically. Yo. Sounds like, awesome. It was incredible. Like, <laughs> all, these gir- all these girls that are away from home for the first time, oh, that, God. you know, just yeah. wanted to have sex. Yeah. Everybody yeah. wanted a party. You know, it was like, so, you know, that was part of it, too. Dude, you know, college, it was like... College is fantastic. And, and like, I, I, know, I know a lot of the people... The straight edge people like choke or this one or that one. We'll talk about how they never felt connected with, you know, doing drugs and all that. I did. I grew up in New York City. I was getting high okay. like at a young age. To each his own. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it was part of the culture when I grew up. And plus, like I said, I fucking followed the Grateful Dead around the country when I was 16 years old. No. I mean, you know, so I was I didn't see alcohol and drugs as very threatening. You know, I was just something that I, I was doing already for a few years. I, I didn't you – now, of course, things escalated, but – I was, was going to say, that's also at a time where people weren't dying yet in your social circle. I mean, for me, I had no problem being around those people. But by the time I reached 20, 21, my friends were homeless, and they were dying, and it got ugly. Yeah, it was, it was early on, and it, it, was, it was early on yeah. you know, in the game. So. Well, yeah, it's more just carefree and fun, and right. you're, not, you're not as rigid against it because of that. Hey, you know, I had a sense of adventure. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, you know, uh, doing drugs and, and drinking and, and being a teenager and right. and and, and chasing girls and and you know. But anyway, back to your question. So, <laughs> minor threat, minor, minor threat. I, I recognized early on as being a, an important band, and and they always delivered the goods. Right. So, anytime I could see them, I would. So I saw them a bunch of times. Um, there's a there's a thing, you know, it's funny that you say that because I've always had this thing with um, – I'm pretty good at sort of seeing talent. Mm-hmm. Not even talent, but like people who are sort of larger than life mm-hmm. without – you know, I mean, Imakai, I'll say like, you know, he never played it up. He never – he always seemed reluctant about it, although I think it's kind of – it's not bullshit, but it's just like his personality. But they – the um, I just feel like, like there's been people through my life where like you see them on stage and they just fucking glow. Right. You know what I mean? Or you see them just standing in a crowd and you look and you're just like that, that fucking guy. Sure. You know, like you can't take your, your eyes off 
It's that, that it person. Factor. Every yeah, it's and it's very inherent. Like it's funny. Like I, I always use Liam Gallagher from Oasis as an example. Uh, that guy, he's you know dumb as a box of rocks, but the guy fucking glows. Sure, you know, what I mean? you know it, but I, but I do. And this is this is my take on it a little bit. That um, I in, in that same regard, there's people that I thought were going to be superstars that amounted to nothing, and people that I was sure were going to amount to nothing, and they ended up as superstars. Name names. Hmm? Name names. Let's hear who. You know, I, I <laughs> who, who? Um, well, I thought Springer from SSD Control was a superstar. Mm-hmm. He, he was, was such a character. He was such a charismatic. He was like the Johnny Rotten of our scene. Mm-hmm. He was incredibly charismatic kid. And I thought that, you know, he certainly would have had, you know, somewhat of a career in music. Um, I thought, Do you think their turn as a band toward the end took that away? When they went the more ACDC approach? Well, sure, but but I think part of the lesson there is different people bring different things to the party, and that's what makes the whole. So it was that combination of people that sort of that was the magic. put yeah. Um, I thought the Beastie Boys sucked. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I they sucked. I, I've know? never been a fan, but yeah. I, I mean, mean, like when I saw them early on, and when they started doing the rap thing, I thought they sucked. Yeah, I thought Biggie Small sucked when I worked with him. I didn't think he was very good, you know? Maybe you just don't like rap. What's that? Maybe you just don't like rap. No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I had a whole career directing, you know, um, producing and directing, you know, music videos. Right. You know? Yeah, but there's an art to making but, music videos. It separates but, from the music, you know? But I, I just, there's certain, I, I didn't see it. When someone said to me, that guy's going to be a superstar, I, w- I don't think me saying that I thought Biggie Small sucked, is that's not right. But someone pointed out to me that that guy is going to be huge. Right. And I was like, I don't see it. Hmm. Okay. I, 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 I don't see it. Right. So there's been times where, you know, you know, here, here, here's all right. Look, you know, you can't. Here, here's a good one. Okay. When I was doing music videos, um, I had a nice run doing music videos. And um, Paris Mayhew from the Cro-Mags at the time was directing some music videos to my company. And for a while there, we were kind of up on this thing where, like, we're only going to do videos for fucking music that we fucking that we can get behind that we dig. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's why we're different than these fucking, you know, Hollywood fucking, you know. So, and and we we got off to a great start, right? We did, you know, Biohazard, Typo Negative, Onyx Slam, you know, uh, run run huge videos and great videos, very distinct. We went on a great run, and so. Let's just say six months into it or whatever, the phone's ringing and everyone wants us to do a video. So we're out in Hollywood. We're out in California shooting something. It might have been what brought us out there or who knows. We were out there shooting something. It's hard to say what it was uh, at the time. But we get a package from a record company and they say, hey, we want you to, you know, you know, you know, you get like a music video, you get a package from the, from the music video department or whatever with like the video, the bio, the song, what do you think of this, you know, da, da, da. so we, we get this video, <laughs> we get, no, we get this package and we open it up and we put it in and it's this band Collective Soul, right? Mm. Oh, I remember that. And they have that song. That song. Oh, was that the video? That was the song, right? Yeah. So we look at it. We listen to it. 
We're rolling down Sunset Boulevard. We look at the picture of them. We're fucking laughing at them. We're like, look at these. And we see where they're from. We're like, look at these fucking clowns. They were like long-haired dudes. They look like – they look like – They're probably from like Jacksonville, Florida. They, 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 they were, aren't they? I think they're from Georgia. And we were just like, these dudes – Corny. I took the cassette out of the player and threw it out the window onto Sunset Boulevard. We call that the 65-mile-an-hour club. <laughs> but so, you can't do 65 so, on Sunset. <laughs> and just tossed it out and made a big joke of it. Wouldn't you know that someone else did that video and that song went to number one in the country? Yeah. So the moral of the story being like, I don't know shit. You know, like, and, you uh, know, you, you just. Not everybody's right all the time. I have a question, though. In hindsight, because you, you said you were coming from like a pure mindset of only doing the best stuff. That was just a fantasy we had at that, you but, know. But what I'm saying is a stupid, looking now, arrogant. Looking, looking back, would you have seen the commercial poten- potential in a song that is still pretty stupid and would have done it? They probably had like a like, $75,000, $100,000 budget, I bet. We didn't care. Yeah. Um, jerks. As it, opposed it, to like <laughs> that purity of being like, well, we money. did high quality street stuff that we relate to. We, we thought that. We thought that at the time, because we the, we were doing the, the kind of videos we were doing that, were, and we were having success with everything that we were doing, that um, our our integrity had something to do with it. Right. So that you could marry your career with your integrity and create your own brand with it. Look, in retrospect, you know, probably the best thing you know the, the thing would have done would be to diversify and do as many fucking videos as possible. Make money and, before and, MTV collapses. Make goddamn money, of course. <laughs> Instead of do the you, way we uh, were doing it. Do you know Marco Siega? No, I don't. Sharkos? No? Mm-mm. He was the guitar player in Bad Trip. And he, uh, he now is the director of The Following. And um, he just did, what was the show he just did? Oh, Time After Time. But uh, he, he got his start with the Civ video. Oh, yeah. Which became a buzz clip. Can't wait. Can't wait one more. Yeah, that was a big video. He won the, he's won a couple of best videos on the MTV Music yeah. Awards. But the Blink-182 boy band video he did well that was the golden age of music videos right yeah, yeah that was and, and, and that, that was like I i'm had surprised to, you don't know him because he was a new york hardcore what's kid. his name again He's from jackson heights uh marco siega I, I don't um it's okay spell it's his last name s-i-e-g-a I don't, I don't think so but i mean he's from late you know bad trip is what late 80s right early 90s so. i mean i saw bad trip with Gorilla Biscuits at CB's in, like, I guess, 88. They were on from, like, 88 to, like, 95 or 6 when you were in the band? Yeah. Yeah, I remember Bad Trip. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, there was a golden age of music videos, and we had a lot of success, and I had a lot of success. And um, What happened? Um, I think that the gold – I think that that ride sort of ended of the golden age of music videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, – it's sort of just it, it, dried it, up. Just well, like. and also I split with Paris Mayhew. Mm-hmm. Um, his style, he did a particular style of music video, and, and styles changed. You know what happened? What came in was at that time was very um, art directed and costume. Like I, I don't know if you remember um, Craig Mack flavoring 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 your ear and like the puffy videos. Like videos were starting to look like have Missy a, Elliott. Right. Uh, uh, the Buster Rhymes video, too. right? So and our, and our videos were different. Our videos were the era before that, which were very like performance and right, right. they're distinctly know. different. And it was a new era, right. Ushering in, right? And and um, you know, Paris um, wasn't really um, Adapting. willing and 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 able uh, to really make that change. 
Right. And he also um, he also got the Cro-Mags going again. Mm-hmm. So he got back into the Cro-Mags, and they got a record deal, and he made a go at it with the Cro-Mags. I got involved with directing stuff on my own. I did, you know, the Agnostic Front Gotta Go video and, you know, the two Madball videos and a lot of hardcore stuff, and then I started tour managing. It sort of, it sort of ran its course a little bit, right. um, and, and, and it and, – and that and that moment sort of ended, and I got into other things, and then it took a, a little while to kind of come back around again, you know. Tour managing, who'd you do aside from Biohazard? <laughs> um, well, I, I I started a management company. And I started managing bands, and I managed uh, Marauder, Fury of Five, Sub Zero, and um, very genre, very genre for specific. Late specific. 90s, all this, right? All yeah. this is like ninety. Five to ninety-eight, I think yeah. I did this, and also a band called Viseria, um, which was a uh, you know Baron, um, who a very gothic type of band. Baron from Sheer Terror. Really. Yeah, yes. right. Yeah, so I managed you know. And Desecrator, right? For old Long Island heads. That's right. So um, I, man- I managed. I managed um, those bands, and you know, got them the record deal, and did, and directed the video, and then you know went out on tour with them in Europe, got them the Europe tour, and then so. I was managing those bands and tour managing, and then I was always very involved with Biohazard. I went out with them on you know a bunch of world tours, and I tour managed, and I, you know, they would just they would just take me out just to be the master of ceremonies and just fucking go off. You Are know? you still bros with those guys? I'm close with some of them. Yeah, I'm close with some of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were with them after Bobby had left, correct? Oh yeah, I was yeah. there. I was there when that happened. I was right there when that oh, happened. Oh, you were there. Oh yeah, I was there. Was for, that on the road? That, that yeah, yeah. Time? It was just, just bad shit, and yeah. you know, Bobby. You know, Bobby left the band, and then I was there with for the succession of guitar. But you know, they brought they brought Doss in, who was in Rest in Pieces, uh, uh, Rob Estrivaria, yeah. and then he left, and they brought in um, Leo Curley from upstate New York, and then they brought in um, you know, and then. I think Carmine played guitar, and then yeah, there was there was a there was a, a parade of, of guitar players. Carmine from what? Staten Island. That, yeah, I, oh I can't talk I about. I can't talk yeah, about. Yeah, Carmine from uh, he. Uh, was that band Grim Legion? Is that was his band? I think so. Yeah, he's an old old friend. I old tattoo artist. Carmine yeah, Vincent. Yeah, that's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to change your name. Yeah, he's got two Italian first Well, that's names. not his – you know that, you know. Yeah. That's his middle name. His yeah. last name is something like Matalatia to get Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, like, that's real, like Drew real, Thomas. Real, real Ginsu, Staten Island last that's, name. That's you know? Drew Thomas from Into Another. Yeah, same shit, like, yeah. 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 It's like <laughs> Bacalacalikiagio or yeah. some shit. Malakalaka. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I can't, I can't ever talk about Biohazard without – because when I was a kid, uh-huh. I was actually at the um, – well, I, I, I still have my Maze records. Uh, the first record, yeah, which sure. I bought at Sundance. When, <clears throat> sure, um, oh, I know I bought it. I bought it at Slip Disc, but but uh, yeah, the back. I'm on the um, that picture is from Sundance. Evan's picture when he's stomping across the crowd. You can see me there. Well, we had a uh, like you know. So I had the demo, the original demo with yeah. the White Power songs on it, and. You know, even at that, you, that demo was great. At that, that demo rules. Fucking <laughs> demo was so great. Good. I just couldn't like in a span of two years they went from being a white power band to doing a song with fucking Onyx. I mean, I'm all yeah. for people changing because but their ideas were dumb. So you know, fair enough. Uh-huh. But but you know, it was like when I was a kid, I was just like, this is fucking weird. Like, what is this shit? And why is no one talking about it? And even to this day with the internet, you would think it's on YouTube. Well, it, like, it, it's like it gets some chatter, but I, I think part of it is look, 
as, if it was now, it would get endless chatter because everything's under the microscope. As now. young teenagers, we've all done questionable things in our limited, you know, cranial capacity as teenagers. And life experience. We all did stupid things, myself didn't included. didn't write and release Certainly. a song called American Nazi Pride. But, uh, you know, like, just, uh, just saying, that's, that's pretty uh, – but anyway, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I get it. And, and, I mean, and that's that's all I can say. I mean, I, I can't. I'm, I'm all not, for redemption, dude. Believe me. Yeah, it's, I mean. I, I saw mean, American History X. I get yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. You know, I wasn't there for that. That When they wrote those songs, you know, I came in a little after. But um, I think. Did they ever talk about it? Yeah, we always talked about yeah. it. Yeah. And we also just, dodged it sometimes, though. Yeah, but it was just Because, some, you know, it's. I mean, to defend them a little bit. I mean, the Europeans were, were bugging about it. And, and their carnivore is one of their main influences. Yeah. They really skirt the line right. arti- lyrically and okay. image-wise. Th- yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, yeah. and then as they evolved, their, their ideology certainly changed. And some people asked them nonchalant. And some people did get in their face. I remember being – they were live on the radio one night on uh, Fingers Metal Shop. And my friend actually called up because he was at a show where one of them seek the crowd. Oh, Jesus. And, but that was like two years earlier. And Evan was like, hey, buddy, I'll take your call off the air. They were kind of screening the calls. Right. And then he answered them off the air. I guess just because he didn't want to feed the flames. And, and you know, Evan, luckily Evan's it was Jewish, social media. Correct. It was Jewish as well. <laughs> you know, um, I got to say this, though, about Biohazard is up until that point, I worked with a lot of bands. I was around a lot of bands. Um, up until that point, I never, ever... Um, was involved with anybody or saw a band that operated like that. And uh, it really impressed me and left uh, an indelible mark they on me. They worked really hard. Yeah. They worked, their work ethic was incredible. And whatever money they made or whatever they did, they, they put it back into the band. I was always used to like seeing bands fighting about, you know, 20 bucks yeah. and like, I'm for the, and like, these guys had such an incredible work ethic and such discipline. They worked. They put the money back into the band. They had band meetings. They had a game plan. And that was the first time I, I saw that. And Well, especially coming from the hardcore scene, that's almost non-existent. Just from anything, man. I mean, just from everyone I dealt with, the bands. and this, like So when I got on that bus at that point, right, we did the punishment video. We did the punishment video, and it played on a headbangers ball, ball 14 weeks in a row. Yeah, they played it constantly. Which was a big deal. So then I got on the bus at that point, and then we did Shades of Grey, and then the Onyx thing. And I was – so I, I was – you know, I, I was really, really impressed at the work ethic. Mm. And I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure if I've ever seen a band since then that has a work ethic like that. Yeah. So, but look, back to that other thing is like, look, Evan Seinfeld is a Jewish <laughs> kid whose father runs like a Hebrew um, day camp, oh, you know? So, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I didn't know his dad did that. No, his dad teaches, his mother, his dad runs a, a Jewish um, camp, I think, or is it is a Hebrew school teacher or something? So the whole bit that that he'd be involved and wrapped up with any of that kind of stuff, they were very very influenced by Carnivore, yeah. you know. And so, you know, we all, like I said, you know, everybody, everybody's done some questionable, you know, not so, you know, proud stuff when we were teenagers, yeah, yeah, you know. I'm fucking, yeah. So but I got I got to ask. I have to say this though, in comparison to now, where there's black metal bands that for 20 years do sketchy stuff. Biohazard like I had a six month window of maybe being sketchy, <laughs> right. and black metal bands get away with it for decades. You think so? 
Well, maybe not now in the Trump era because now everyone's hypersensitive. But pre-Trump, well, the, black it, metal I mean, bands were getting, you know, they're called the, cult and it's getting glorified. Where Biohazard did go through hell for like what was well, such Biohazard a brief window it, of their if career. If the internet existed, Biohazard wouldn't have done that. Because I, if, 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 I think what they would have done it regardless. Drew, it just yeah, would have more know. implications. I don't know. Yeah, because there were more implications. When you're just putting out a fucking demo. You know, like you, your vision is like, ah, oh, it'll get well, to Well, there was no more. internet when they put that demo yeah, out. Yeah, they just of played the Moors and CVs. That was their whole world. <laughs> that demo came out in 88. Yeah, it was a super yeah. small world at yeah. the time. Yeah. And, and yeah, and by the time the world actually heard of Biohazard, it was yeah. when they put their first record out. So, and that stuff yeah. was long out of their catalog. Yeah. You know, it was past. So hey, look, Biohazard. I agree with your sentiment, yeah. but they did get a pass between time and I'd say, you know, the, the one thing I thought was slightly annoying about it, being a fan from the... I had that demo, and I love that demo, and I was seeing the monthly at that point, was, especially with their message becoming black and white and everything they preached, I always thought they should have just made a blanket statement being like, hey, we were young, and we were kind of foolish, and this is what we did. And we've grown up, and we regret it, and this is what we believe in. And they never quite did that. They just kind of wanted it to go away. I don't think they ever got forced to. You know yeah, I, mean? I, I, don't, I don't ever feel like they... they I was around then. I don't – that stuff, I, that wasn't – they weren't called to task on that when I was around. It was sort of like – Just in little the, rumblings. Well, from people like you. Well, who, I didn't care. No, yeah. no, but I'm just saying – I loved them. I'm, people, people like, like me, you I'll that remembered it. that stuff. Yes. By, by this point, yeah. you have a half a percent of people that even ever heard that demo tape. So in a way, it was sort of like, why are we addressing something that – I had friends who thought they sold out when they stopped singing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, who, Jim Conway? Like, oh, I thought they were like us. And yeah. Uh, but you know, <laughs> Jim's but, gonna hate me for that. But, <laughs> but, but, yeah. Biohazard opened the door for a lot of bands, man. Oh, they, they 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 brought a lot of bands on tour. Um, they they put a lot of bands down. Um, remember that short Roseland that they played? Yeah, they had like eight openers. They had eight, every band coming up. Eight hard, eight eight up and coming hardcore Marauders, bands. The they didn't list. have to do that. They did yeah. that a lot, man. They 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 did that a lot. You know, they really... I think they got a bum rap when hardcore kids became very purist and felt at some point that they were betrayed by them. Well, Biohazard didn't... Like, you know, my experience with growing up on Long Island and going to Sundance was that they really weren't part of the hardcore scene. Right. They were Absolutely. outside of it. They, were, they, they well, were more of a metal band. Well, not and, for me, though, because I was seeing them at Seabees in the beginning, and they were playing strictly hardcore shows. It's funny. You know, you someone, some, later, someone, else, so you someone will see them more as a hardcore band. You see them more... You yeah. see them more. It's all about when you came you see in. them more as, as a metal band. You yeah, know? I mean the Bills they were playing on, but Leeway would play the same Bills, and and Sick of It All would play the same Bills, and you'd never think. I always would. Oh, that's a hardcore band opening for Morbid Angel. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, it, with with Biohazard, it was more like maybe because the singer had long hair. You know, so the, it was and a they had image. such a crossover appeal. Well, the first time I saw Biohazard was at a CBGB's matinee, and. I might have I might have watched two songs or three songs, and I was like, "Okay, I get it. Two skinheads, two two long hairs. You got chocolate on my peanut butter. You got peanut butter on my chocolate. Right, I get the go. novelty." Right. And I was sort of like bummed because I was an old hardcore kid, and I was sort of like, "You know, this is kind of like what's up now." Like now, you didn't want the peanut butter mixed with the chocolate? No, definitely not. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I didn't. I I, I'm, I was a first wave American hardcore kid, so, so you were a purist. I don't know if I'd say it was a purist, but... Well, did you think they were doing it in a marketing sense, or did you just kind of dismiss it? It wasn't a... my cup of tea. Right, right. It wasn't my cup of tea. Um, I didn't think they were very good. But then, what it was, I think it must have been... When they got Danny on drums? Then, when... Right. Then it was two... Then it was you. Then it was two years later when, when we did the video. Totally different ballgame. 
And live at that point, because they worked they hard. Were they worked hard. They were the tightest, most powerful band during yeah. that couple of year window. So they were blowing away everybody. So the biohazard stuff you mentioned, leeway uh, in the film, in the New York Hardcore Chronicles film, there's a segment called the crossover, okay. and that deals with. You know, basically, you know, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. You got peanut butter in my chocolate. Before we get into that, can I, can, how did you uh, – what time periods does the New York Hardcore Chronicles chronicle? Like what – like where, where just, where's the start? Where's the end? 1980 to 2017. Oh, you go all the way to right now. Okay. Cool. Well, it's – Unlike some other movies that stop in 86. Most of them stop you have in to understand 86. The, <laughs> you have yeah. to understand the format of the film. It's not the history of New York hardcore. I didn't make the history of New York hardcore. Because that's already been done. So Has it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe, maybe certain parts of it. but Segments of it. Have segments of it. Thing. But what I did was I made a film that, that documents things in an episodic format with the thread of New York hardcore running through it. Right. So, for instance, there's a segment called The Return to the A7 where Vinny and Roger from Agnostic Front go back to the A7 for the first time since 1984. They Niagara. haven't been in the room. Yeah. And they, they rediscover the room, and they talk, we talk about the room, and Todd Youth shows up. And, you know, That's have, in the trailer, correct? Yeah, I have a bunch of old footage in there, and it's sort of like they're talking about this was the birthplace of New York hardcore. Right. There's another segment called Spray Paint the Walls, which takes a look at the connection between New York hardcore and graffiti. People think graffiti was just like a hip-hop thing or something. But in the early 80s, hip-hop didn't exist. For a while there, there was graffiti, and it was, it was New York, it was hardcore kids and, and, and like, rap kids. Mm. Like, for, keep in mind there. Street kids. Keep in mind early on, for, for, for a clip there, hardcore in New York City was as big as fucking hip-hop. Or rap, or whatever you want to call it, rap music. There was a time when rap music was like smaller than it was more yeah, underground. It was, they were both underground, right? Yeah. So there's another segment in the film called the youth called Youth Crew, which which takes a look at the whole youth crew movement. There's another segment in the film called the Girls Will Have Their Say, which talks about really when when I first got into the hardcore scene, there was a lot of girls around. There was all girl bands, all girls. Now there's no girls in bands, yeah. barely. Like, what happened? Why did that happen? The segment looks at that. Yeah. So I didn't make the history of New York Hardcore. Like, in 1983, this band put out their second record. Like, I didn't do that. Right. What I did was the film is done in an episodic format with all these episodes that have the thread of New York Hardcore running through that. Right. And the narrative that, that sandwiches all these segments is the Black and Blue Bowl which has been around for 15 years now. And that's something that is contemporary and something that's happening right now and something that is a New York City tradition. So that's the now of what's happening with the film. It's, it's the black and blue ball, and we deal with the black and blue ball and you know, the last few years and what bands are playing and, and have footage from that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we keep going back and visiting these, these segments. Now, part of the part of the... I don't want to say tragedy uh, or of, of the film is that when I first started making the film, I wasn't making it to adhere to a certain format. I was thinking, you know what, if Vice came along or someone came along and said, you know what, we dig what you're doing in this episodic format. We want to release these episodes in pieces one a month 
for two years, then that would give me the opportunity to do 20 segments. Mm -hmm. Now, I had many other segments sketched out that 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 never that got take you know got didn't white. come to fruition because in the end i had to make a fucking uh, 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 a you, film yeah and you couldn't had, make a 9 hour film i had to <laughs> wrestle it into the format of film right so that's why it's going to be ironic and comical and strange when someone says, how come so-and-so or th- this isn't in the film? Yeah, well, this is what I was going to bring this up because we, have a, we, we had a whole internet discussion the other day about this particular subject, yeah. about your documentary and about other documentaries, about how <clears throat> the, like the late 80s, early 90s ABC No Rio sort of, you know, let's, let's say answer to yeah. the violent CB That's right. bullshit. That's right. Uh, has never... No one's That's ever right. written about it or talked That's right. about it. That was yeah. one of the sketches that I I, I, I I had on the board and couldn't do. I had another one. I had I had I had all kinds of great ones, man. I had I had a story of queens. What's up with a story of queens? What's in the water? What's in the water in a story of well, queens? There's such a rich history there. That well, so Heights, many hardcore yeah. bands have come from a story of queens. Yeah. It is crazy. That that was on the board. I had uh, a segment called the Age of Violence. Which deals with the whole kind of Castle Heights thing and that whole era of like the bulldoze and marauders and mm-hmm. that whole. So, you know, what 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 could I do? I mean, I had to sort of prioritize mm-hmm. and and kind of you know make some hard decisions. I mean, the film runs an hour and forty five minutes. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like I only can go with what what I can know. And that's like, I can't fucking watch any of these movies for more than fucking an hour and 45 Yeah, what was funny is that when he first got here, he was like, he's like, you know, I kind of feel like the shorter the better, you know, with the podcast. And I was just like, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Well, that's a different avenue than a movie, though. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, I get get what he's saying, though. You know, it's like. Well, what what am I going to do? Do it, do it, do it. You know, two and a half hour film. People would fucking drink Drano, fucking sitting there yeah, watching it's not this Malcolm shit. X. I mean, you know, <laughs> it just, you, you just can't. You just in this day and age we live in, um, there's a saturation point, right? And believe me, an hour and forty five minutes is fucking long, man. It is. it is, and and so the Boston movie flows though. How long is that movie? That's eighty. That's, that movie go, moved. Quick. That's no, wait, that's ninety minutes. Okay, because that movie moves quick, and it was yeah. over before I knew it. That movie's ninety minutes soup to nuts. The the the, the New York hardcore film is a hundred and five minutes from soup to nuts. So right now the New York hardcore film is fifteen minutes longer. Do you feel that uh that that you've made the documentaries that you made can be watched by people who aren't into the music, and they can actually like maybe say someone is into get into culture. it. That's a good. That's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, it, that's a really good question. It is, and and I I, I have because an it is a culture. That's the thing, right? It's a, I have an, I have an answer for that. Um, I felt like the Boston hardcore film appealed, like you could, like your grandmother could see it and, and have an understand and get an understanding for it. I feel like the Michael Alago film that I made, I specifically would ask myself, how can I tell the bigger story here? Is it about? Is it about? a gay Hispanic kid that grew up in, in a Hasidic neighborhood, you know? Um, no. It's about someone that just loves music and, and, and lived that passion. And that brings it to the next level because 
a lot of people can relate to that. And his music is so diverse. I mean, he's but, but, all but, over the map. But, but a lot of people can go, you know what? I just love music too. You see? Right. Whereas if it was just about some gay Hispanic kid, it's, it pigeonholes it. But and it loses people before they even see it. Just like the story of Anvil. Did you see that movie? Yes. That movie's not about the band Anvil. It's about the friendship between these two it's guys. The friendship and the struggle. That's man. the bigger story. The Alago film has a, a bigger story. Um, the, the Boston hardcore film, I feel um, people find interesting because my films deal with community and culture. It's not the history of New York Harlem. It's not. I, I don't just deal with you know. And then in 1982, we you know we put out the my my um, sweet spot is the community and the culture, and that's something that I feel people can uh, relate to yeah. on, on their own level. Well, I think people who aren't into the music don't necessarily understand because I mean, as common as it is for us, you know, in our yeah. entire social circles are all these people. Uh, it, it, to somebody who just kind of like goes by it on, on fucking Netflix, right? And it's like, oh, let me, let me watch this. You know, it's got a cool name. I don't think that they're necessarily going to – I think there's a majority of the public doesn't understand that because right. their version of culture and community is the church. You know, sure. we're like, you know what I mean? Or like right. there's – everybody has a different one, and we all kind of fell into the music part of it, which honestly, it, there. I mean, how many shows have you guys been at that you didn't go in and watch the bands? Because you were outside talking to people. It's a community in the culture. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Especially That's when it. you're in the DIY one where it's very social and the music can at times literally be secondary. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. let me say that the New York Hardcore Chronicles film that I just made I feel is magic. And I feel that it is an incredible film and I'm really proud of it. And I feel in a certain way it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. And... I think the biggest reason for that is because I made that movie for me and my friends. I didn't fucking make that for anyone else. I don't fucking care if your grandmother likes it. I don't care if that dude down the street likes it. I made the best New York hardcore. I followed my heart and made the best possible New York hardcore film that, that, that I could make. And didn't try to go, how can this go to a bigger audience or, or how can, you know, this appeal to anyone else or maybe I shouldn't tell this story or, you know, no, I may, it's a, it's a, it's in a certain way, it's a, it's a perverted, it's a perverse form of art. Right. I made it for myself. I'm an insider. Um, I've been in the scene for a long time. Um, I, I have the inside track, you know, so I made a really... Um, pure art form, and and I think the film is great, and I think and, and I think I think that comes through in the film because if you fucking like New, if you love New York hardcore, if you like New York hardcore, if you like this genre, you're gonna fucking love this film. And I think most people inside this genre are incredibly protective of it, right? And would only demand something made like that, or else they would tear it to shreds, right? Do you uh, do you feel that I mean, I've always uh, been under the impression, and and obviously you interviewed a lot of people who were older and still playing in bands and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I brought this up last week um, when I talked to Shrifles about, about, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys still doing Youth of Today? And he's like, I'm going to do it until I can't walk. Yeah, it's great. He's like, he's fucking super into it. And they, and they're, you know, they have more energy than they it's did awesome. in 1988. And that's a classic Walter Posse answer. And I love it. But, yeah. um, but, and of course I have to make fun of him, but I enjoyed what I do, but like they, Walter for the film. 
Oh, yeah, he's fucking dude, you know, he's incredible. You know, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you, yeah, but of, of everyone that I interviewed for the film, everyone that I interviewed, and there's, you know, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 people I interviewed for the film, Walter was the only person that I did not ever have any sort of personal relationship or contact with. Oh, no way. Like, really? I did not personally know him. He didn't know me. We never worked together. It's, we never played together. Oh, that's interesting. It's interesting because he's, only, he's like number one to me. So, he's the know, only like, person in the New God. York hardcore film that the first time I ever interacted with him was the day I interviewed him. And I really enjoyed interviewing him. And uh, he's a very smart guy. He, he has a good perspective on this thing. And uh, he was great. Yeah. Oh, Walter's a great. He's yeah. taught me a lot about life over the years. He's he was a, great. He's a fucking good dude. Um, <coughs> well, the, what the question I wanted to ask was more about I've always like I've always looked at hardcore and punk as a youth culture. And, you know, it's like you're not 35 and get into hardcore. It's not something that happens. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's always interesting to me to like to bring up Youth of Today or, or any of these other bands that are still playing songs that they wrote. Mm-hmm. You know, high school fucking high school teenager. Yeah. How can you possibly, you know? And, and I'm glad you today hasn't tried to write a new album because it's that's just fucking. You can't dumb. capture that. Yeah, like I, dis- I, I would. I beg to differ. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm asking like because I I look at it as a, as a youth culture, you know, and I, I I not to say that I don't go back and listen to my hardcore records, but I'm far more selective mm-hmm. about it, and I can go back and listen to stuff and go, how the fuck did I like this? This is yeah, garbage. Sure. You know, sure. and, and 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 also just like. Dealing with the whole, you know, moshing. I'm in a fucking tight room. I'm annoyed. I don't want to fucking deal mm. with this shit. And obviously, owning this place has made me a thousand times worse. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And, and do you do you feel? Well, answer that one first, and then I'll ask you about if, if what you're listening to now. Well, I, I think that. Uh, well, well, first off, you're talking to somebody that is that lives it and breathes it, right? I'm not an outsider by any means. I'm. I'm I'm in the middle of it. But is, it, is it, there's a nostalgia aspect to it at this point, you know? Um, it depends on who you are and where you're standing. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, like what you said about Youth of Today, right? Have you heard Sick of It All's new record? It's great. But I'm going to interject because we've all been in bands since the 80s. But, and we all have our past and we've, this is our lives. We're all musicians. Huh? Sick of It All are the motorhead That's of stretching New York hardcore. It. They never stopped. Yeah. Uh, a band okay. like Youth of Today... We've seen those people change musically and lyrically mm-hmm. and ideologically incredibly from what they formed and are known as. Uh-huh. That's the only reason I would say Youth of Today as a unit probably shouldn't do a record, as opposed to a band that just played, hey, or they should change it into old. And, but Youth of Today was so specific in mm-hmm. what it believed in it's, and how yeah, it presented it's hard, itself. It's hard to be to me, 50, it's different than a It's hard to be 50 band. years old and be youth crew. But I mean, although I gotta but say that Ray and Poissel look fucking amazing. I mean, look, so, I, I can't. I mean, we're, we're talking about certainly this, more than me. Specifically, being the kind of band that Youth of Today is, the kind of band that Sick of It All is. Sick of It All put out that new record, and they had fucking songs in there like the video I did, "The Road Less Traveled." You know yeah. that that video? Yeah, it's great. Like, what an incredible song! Great I, I, album. The whole album. You know, and I was like, who wrote these lyrics, man? Like, like those lyrics were just those lyrics like spoke to me, you know. Yeah. But and I think there's an evolution in Sick of It All where an evolution of what they do two fucking things. <laughs> no, it's an evolution. <laughs> they they, they do skank and super fast. But you're talking music. I'm talking <laughs> lyrically. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ray was a straightish guy. He was a Christian guy, and he went through all these evolutions. So for him to go back, it's like Sting always says he wouldn't do the police again because it would be like going back to kindergarten. Now, in a youth of today's Sting's sense, really rich. Poor, yeah, <laughs> he is. But for a guy like Ray, 
I mean, Ray is so much deeper and more evolved than he was then that he probably still maintains most of those ideals. But for him to write again like he did in 1986... Yeah, it would just be weird. It would be weird. Well, well maybe he's, he's spoken, my girlfriend well, maybe that, 16. Well, are they? I mean, maybe that's why they're not. Maybe that you know, they do their thing and, and they're not trying to... Hey, look, look, I can relate to in a certain regard. I sing for Antidote. You know, we did a record a few years ago. Right. We don't have a burning desire to let's write new music. Like, that's not happening. We enjoy kind of doing the older stuff and playing every now and then. There's not a real burning desire to, like, let's write a new record's worth of stuff. That's why I have other outlets as an artist. That's right. why I have the Drew Stone Hit Squad. That's why I have this, I have that. Antidote, that it is that. You know, and yeah, in a certain regard, yeah, you could call it a nostalgia act in a certain but but also like I see a lot of young bands and I enjoy young bands. Like that was, that was gonna be my next question. Yeah. So who who like who do you think is carrying the flame? Like Regulate okay. from Long Island. I fucking love them. They're young kids, they're teenagers, they crush. Uh King Nine is another young band. Um Incendiary is my I, I don't know Go them. To. They're from Long Island as they're well. Yeah, Island. great. They're, yeah, yeah. Um, great King too. Nine. Oh, and you know what band I really love? And and they're they're very very thrashy. They're, 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 they remind me of Marauder. Is DTL Decimate the Living? They're like a very. Where are they from? They're from the Bronx. They're a bunch of Hispanic kids from yeah, the Bronx. Yeah, there's a lot of bands up in the Bronx. Yo, yeah. they're fucking hard. They remind me of Marauder. They, I they, haven't heard them. You got to you. You'll love them. They're the real deal, man. And these are young kids, man. You know, th- these are young kids. Are they doing anything? Radically different? No. But, but when but, I'm standing oh, yeah. in the room, when I'm standing in that room, like, I'm feeling it, man. I went and saw David Gilmour from Pink Floyd oh, at the fucking garden that sounds awesome. like a few months ago, yeah. and it bummed me out. It was oh, like a shit. bunch of 70-year-old people oh, just yeah. fucking sitting there, and I was like, but you David know Gilmore's what? David Gilmour's playing guitar. Who cares? I was, it, just wasn't, <laughs> I, it just wasn't that good. It was just – I think I, – I, it was just – I think I've been just going to too many – High energy shows where fucking yeah. people sweat and really, and really, <laughs> that was what hardcore did for us in the first place. And really put something away from. I'm that. like, at this point, like, I don't even like going to big concerts because I just don't get that much out of it. It's like I'd rather watch it on YouTube. But I would certainly go see a fucking club with fucking twenty fucking kids half my age. I fucking love it, man. Well, doesn't that take you back to the beginning of when you first went to that show in Boston? You're used to arena rock, and then all of a sudden you're in this intimate room. It's hard to go back. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. I once guess you're, once you're like, once I, 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 once I know. You're watching I your peers. Shows, but do I have to? Do I have to partition it? Do I have to identify no, you it? You don't. You no. don't. You it don't have to partition anything. It makes me feel good. Right. Yeah. It gets my dick hard. You know. It, it's why I, it, it, it it brings me joy. Yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, and, you know, but there's people who Nickelback brings them joy. But still, I mean, right. you know, and I'm cool. I'm They're okay sick. with that. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> They're sick. Obama sick. <laughs> is he is he wiretapping Nickelback? Um, yeah, it's, I wish he would. It's it's interesting, and and I would say, like you were saying, are they reinventing anything? And, and my thing with hardcore as a general genre is that it never it can never progress. I made the mistake of playing in a band in the early '90s that is relatively popular in a very small regional area, uh, and and put out a record that's somewhat legendary. I'll toot my own horn, I guess, but like please that that record, you know, uh, we were. We is were this actively, the bad trip record? No, this is Mind Over Matter. And we were, we were actively trying to progress hardcore. Like we, people actually yeah. use the term right. progressive hardcore right. in, in reference to us. What we were doing was playing a different fucking genre. So, because hardcore is hardcore and it's never going to fucking change. And if you don't like Madball, you don't like hardcore. End of story. That's it. 
Well, <laughs> that's only that's a '90s definition, though. Because to me, if you don't like hardcore, is if you don't like. But it hasn't the changed. Approach single or the antidote single. It's the same shit. No, but it's it? the same shit. Well, but it's the same really. shit. Yes, Mabel, it is. I love Mabel. I love Mabel. So do I. Oh, but. dude, I'm not saying anything bad about it. I'm saying that's fucking hardcore, and no, they do it, and they're awesome at it. Maybe because I'm older, but I know a ton of hardcore kids that to them, Mabel is too pro and too metal because they only like '82 to '85 hardcore. So Mabel is, I mean, is the next generation. It's, a, it's tighter, a little more produced. I'd love to sit in a room with somebody just play my Yes records for them. That person. But I want to sit with that person. So. I don't give a fuck. Well, listen to something good. I mean, I listen my to favorite, Man, My favorite Garfunkel. Yes record is Drama. Uh, well, that's okay. It's a great record. I like that it's record. It's a great record. I mean, you know, John's not on it, but... Oh, and I'm going to say one more thing. I love we, that record. We went back to... Uh, you were talking about <laughs> But you're the right age. You're the right age for you're that taking, record. You were yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. You're saying nostalgia. I don't see them as nostalgia at all. I, don't, I take each band on an individual basis. I can see when someone's phoning it in or when someone's living it. Right. And you feel it. And as a hardcore kid, whether you're 16 or now, I'm going to be 48 in like three days, you're looking for that feeling. Like he gets that feeling seeing some new bands. Yeah, dude. That, I mean, and that feeling can come from I, 16-year-old kids or 50-year-old men. So I don't, I don't – Lumping in as nostalgia at all. Believe me, but I'm I've ju- seen I, I, bands that look like they'd rather be home watching Friends on TV. Sure. And those are the bands I'm like, you shouldn't be here because you're not feeling it. I mean, I, and I, that's I, why I, I envy. I envy Drew in this respect because I mean, I, I'm so like it takes at this point, <laughs> it takes so much for me to get that feeling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I didn't even walk in the room when Nirvana played here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, for one song when Jay Mascus was singing. But, like, you but know. But you also like, around it seven days a week. Me and him yeah, are more yeah, 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 We come and Look, go there's certain things discretion. that I, 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 could, I feel the same way about, too. But, you know, you know, you, you, you know you, you're involved with this place. You're in here all the time. You see, it, it's almost like overload. It's you know burnout. what I mean? Oh, totally. You, you, yeah. you know, but I think also in, in, in my case, to a certain extent, like, I, I lead a different kind of life. And we all make our choices in life. And I've made mine, and I, I'm sort of like I don't want to say last of the great independent filmmakers or artists, but you know my life is set up this way, you know. Um, at this point, you know I'm not I'm not married anymore, you know my my kid is a teenager, you know he lives with his mom in Florida, he comes and stays with me a lot. Um, I'm a, I'm a, you know I'm a renegade. I'm out there on the perimeter, man. And this is the kind of life that I have, and I love it. It's, dude, I love listen, it. man, being punk rock and hardcore and all this shit is about being an individual. Yeah, I love it, And, man. and doing stuff that's it's just your own. You know, you're not, you're that's not, your DNA, though. You're not going— No, what I'm saying is—and and that's my DNA, and there was a time in my life where I was deviating from the basic theme, but right. I'm back now— I'm 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 having I'm I'm having a moment. I got two films coming out. Fucking bands like I'm doing it, man. And and like things are clicking. I fucking all the bullshit or all the all the distraction like I'm not getting involved in. I'm not dating any fucked up rock chicks. I'm not dealing with any <laughs> retarded band members. Enough of that I, stuff. You know what I mean? We've all had our lifetime fill of that <laughs> shit. Hey, I love it, man. I love it. Believe me. Oh, I, yeah. I love crazy it's rock chicks. I love crazy rock chicks, and I love the kids I grew up with that I'm in the band with that are, that are, that are, that are fucking insane. But now's not the time. Now's, not t- now's the time to be focused, and that's what's up. Well, you're driven and focused, and your energy is positive, whether it be right. antidote or a movie. Right. Every time I see you and we hang out and we talk, you're focused. You're, even if you're going through some shit where I'm sure none of this stuff goes as smoothly as you want, I mean— you're on a mission, and it's clear, 
and you stay focused, and that's why you don't go out for a little bit because you're working on your projects. And every time right. I see you, you're excited, and you're not a pitch man. You're talking to me as well, someone who's proud. Well, I've always, I've always, I don't like to talk about what I'm doing. I like, I like to show what I've done. Like so, I, early on, like I, I don't. That's why I didn't announce that I was doing the New York hardcore film until it was like almost halfway done. You know, like I, I don't, I'm not one of these people that talk about what he's going to do. And there's a lot of that on the internet. And there's a lot of that on Facebook about people talking about what they're going to do. And I'm going to do this. And, and it leads to nothing. It's bullshit. I don't talk about what I'm going to do. I'll go and I'll go and do it, get it rolling and then start talking yeah. about it. Oh yeah. That that's, makes sense. I mean, that, so. that, that happens a lot, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I Sometimes lately I ask myself, like, how long is this going to last? Right. Like, how long? That's not, that's natural. I know, but, but how long can I have this joy that I receive from the hardcore scene? Like, like, like right now, like from going to bands and seeing music and, and just fucking doing it, man. It's just been fucking great. Yeah. And like, and, how and long? You know, it's can, great that you have the resource to tell the story, too. Right. Well, that's, know, so it's great. That's what yeah, that, you have the avenue. That's what it, that's what a big part of it is. And I got to say this early on, people got behind me and that was big. You know, what was interesting is like this reminded me of uh, reminds me of the conversation I had with Necro Butcher, uh, the guy from Mayhem. Mm -hmm. And they you know, they he is very unhappy about the Lords of Chaos book. And then they, they were talking about making a movie. A with, Hollywood with, movie. With, with Ridley, Not yeah. an indie movie. Ridley yeah. Scott. Movie. Ridley yeah. Scott. Well, Scott, Rid Scott Ridley Scott. That's his name, right? Ridley Scott. I don't even know. Um, was gonna, was I know gonna what you're talking about, yeah. Direct it and all this shit. Mm -hmm. And it, part of his problem was that, like, who are these people? The person who wrote The Lords of Chaos, I don't, he's like, I don't fucking know. I don't know who that fucking guy was. You know, like, I don't know who these movie make. They're going to tell my yeah. story. They're going right. to tell the story of my friends. And, like, who the fuck are they? Fuck you. Well, I'll give you some of that parallels. The horses, you like, the, you can't do that with you because right. you were there. That's the thing. And, and I'll tell you, there's right. a Long Island Hardcore documentary that's been in the making for years. <laughs> and the person who was, the people who were making it were in the scene, but really in the distance, not nearly as much as you were in the New York hardcore scene or in the Boston scene in your past movie. And half the scene, because they're so protective or jaded, kind of gave them a really hard time just because they felt like they didn't have the proper credentials and they didn't want to right. see it be bastardized. Yeah. Much like Necro Butcher saying what he says. Yeah, sure. You, I did a three-hour interview for that documentary. I loved it. Go I did an it. hour long. It was cool. <laughs> I mean, I... Nobody I was, else is telling the fucking... I never saw it, but story. I heard it was very good. It's not... It's never came out. It still it's, hasn't come out, but... I but mean, it was around. Did it play festivals? No. no, it, no, no. It's one of your Facebook things, like you said. The word got out like crazy. They did a trailer for it. They did a GoFundMe thing for Are you it. you talking about the... The black metal documentary? No, no, no. no. We oh, switched, switched sorry, gears. So I misunderstood. No, I thought you were talking about the. Oh the, yeah, the, there's been tons of black metal. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there's a few of those. Okay. But they were so, going to make a big budget movie for the black metal thing. Right. Which is fucking like nuts. a Hollywood right. movie. Right. But the thing going back to you with the New York hardcore one, you said people welcomed you, but that's because you're from it and you're part of it, right? And they know you're a big part of it that's and right. they trust you fully. That's where right. That Long Island one, even though these kids were kind of even in it, more from the crowd perspective. People still didn't trust them. I think there's very few people who can get the inside track you, and be trusted. Look, you got to have a certain pedigree and you got to have and you got to have results. A lot of people turn up and go, "I'm making a documentary. Right. I'm a general contractor and I'm a film director." 
It's like, yo, I'm a motherfucking, I'm a motherfucking filmmaker, and I have been, and I come from a family of filmmakers. This is what I do. This is my life, and this is my passion. You have a lot of people, a lot of things out there now, and this is the world that we live in. And we were talking about hardcore and stuff like that. And I'm not sure what kind of category you would put it under, but like, I'm going to call like suburban hardcore. Like, you have all these guys now that are like 40 years old that like have just started hardcore bands. Like, I'm not mentioning any names, but um. But, but uh, except for except for, for the one except for the one you just mouthed the wrong. <laughs> right. But, Which I didn't catch but, 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 what, what I'm saying is, you're having people that are like, I'm a I'm a I'm an iron worker, you know, for a career, and come see my hardcore band. And you also have people that are like, I'm a general contractor, and I'm a film director. Right? Like, I'm not mentioning any names, but this happens a lot, both in people like, that are doing music and people that are making films now. Yeah, but to, to put your words into my mouth, uh, they, they, you know, like if they're getting a, uh, a buzz from it, if it's something that they're passionate about, you know, like if they have to be an iron worker on the side, but they're getting a buzz out of, you know, either playing in a band or trying to make a movie – you got to kind of give them some credit. Uh, you know, I if, do, it's, but if it's a crappy product and they're forcing it on you, then it's annoying. But you know. I do, but let me flip it back on you. I'm a filmmaker, but I'm a uh, stockbroker commodity guy. It's like you're not going to – like what is my pe- – like so yeah. – do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're going to take – you know, I'm a filmmaker. You're a, you're a, a, a iron worker. You're a, you know, a bus driver. Right, so in the world we live in now, with this technology, everybody's a film director. Well, everybody's, everybody's a, a photographer. photographer. Everybody's, a everybody's a producer. So it, it's sort of um, saturated the playing field, and it's so, cheapened it. Absolutely. So you have this glut of films, of documentaries, of music, of all this stuff, and it's hard to differentiate. What is made by somebody that actually is a true artist? I mean, everybody's an artist, I'm, I'm, and I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not. I, I, I appreciate it all in a certain regard. I do. But what I'm saying is the playing field is so cluttered yeah. with stuff now. Yeah. You know, so in, in my regard, I'm a filmmaker who's making a film, and I have a pedigree coming from the fact that I saw my first Harcourt show in 1981. I was in the pit. You know, I, I, you know, I was in the mix for years. I sang for Antidote. I had, I had a whole career doing music videos. I had a whole career managing bands, tour managing. So by the time it came to do this, people were like, yo. You know, and that's at every avenue. I mean, you, aside from promoting, you did everything you could possibly do yeah. as a musician or a music fan or as a player. Yeah. I mean, that's a so, life. That's decades of experience. So that's why I feel strongly about the New York hardcore film, that it is a true... Um, pure piece of art. I, I, I do, you know, I'm not trying to sound hokey here, but like I didn't answer to no one. I didn't listen to no one. I did exactly what I wanted to do. The water found its own level. No one else was involved. I didn't take anybody's fucking money. I didn't need to hear anybody's fucking bullshit. Right. I have a question about that because as, as I know, because I've known you for a while, there were some years where you were less in the New York hardcore scene yeah. and you were probably just looking at more through friends or going to the occasional show. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all gone through that to certain, mm-hmm. certain aspects, but, uh, looking back and making the movie, what did you learn about the times when you maybe assumed that it was either dead or just wasn't what you enjoyed? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, and, and it goes back to sort of what you said before, like I sort of was out of the mix, um, by the time the whole youth crew thing happened. The later eighties, like, I assume. That, the later eighties, right? I got in at 81 when you're that young by 
you know, a few years later, you're on to other things. I was an antidote. Um, you know, we had our run by, by 85, 86. We sh the hardcore thing was, was sort of – it was becoming repetitive to us. I, I wasn't that interested in it. And it was changing drastically because outside stuff was coming in. And I wasn't I, – I, I just – I was into other, getting into other things. And probably the band that influenced me the most at that time when they came out was Guns N' Roses. I thought they were fucking great. They were punk rock when they first came out. They were doing it. And that's, we revved up Antidote again, and we were more of like a Guns N' Roses kind of band. But in making the film, the, probably the segment that, one of the, that I very much enjoyed, because it was a, a sense of discovery with it, which as a filmmaker, uh, you know, to me, that's what it's about. Like, I don't want to know about the shit too much. You know what I mean? I like, I like in certain regards, I like, discovering it because if i find it interesting then i like to think that the viewer finds it interesting yeah. that we're discovering this mm -hmm. together i didn't really know anything about um youth crew and and i didn't know the music of judge and youth of today and gorilla biscuits those kids were all younger than me and they were 15 when you they left. were just doing shit that we already did right. you know i felt at the time mm -hmm. so i really enjoyed in the film, doing the youth crew segment and learning about those bands. When Judge just played recently, opened for Cox Bar, I went and saw them, and then I came over here and saw them. I was psyched to see them play. I was, like, fucking psyched, you know? They were great here. I, I was, went to both, but here especially. I, I was thought, psyched, man. I'm psyched to see these bands now. I want to see Youth of Today play now. I want to see Gorilla Biscuits. GB's playing black and blue, aren't they? Yeah, hmm. yeah. And so I'm excited about, you know, so th that, so... There's that that se that sense of it. A lot of the other material in the film, I'm very familiar with. Right. The crossover stuff, you know. Um, I mean, there was look, there was some of the crossover stuff I, I wasn't that versed in, right? I mean, Billy Milano, um, some of the you know some of the stuff, and um, you know, uh, Louis Beto. And, Wait, who did you interview? You uh, Billy Milano? Do you any any DRI guys or? Uh, this is a New York hardcore film, bro. Did you get crumb Sorry. suckers? Right, I forgot. Were you able to get any crumb suckers, guys? Yeah. Billy Milano, Billy, Billy yeah. Milano pressed me over his head and threw me into a crowd. At so, a so the for the for the so <laughs> for the crossover segment, it's um, it's Gary from the Crumb Suckers, Billy and Bobby from Biohazard, Eddie Sutton from Leeway, Harley Flanagan, um, Danny Lilker. Did you um, get AJ? Awesome. No, didn't need to. I'm psyched. You, I'm psyched. We you interviewed. Eddie, so. I'm yeah. psyched. You interviewed Danny. That's yeah, Danny. Um, John from Candiria. Is in it for a I second? Love, I love Lamarcky. Yep. He's a fucking great dude. Um, there's more. I'm just not getting a bite on it. There, there's, um, oh, Louis Beto from Carnivore. Mm. Uh, Alex Kynan, who was in... Cross for Alarm. And, 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 and Agnostic Front. Also, Louis had a lot to do with Cross for Alarm. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I mean, so, you see, like, like, what happens in a segment like that is, like you said, did you speak to AJ? Well, what happens is that patterns develop, and if you speak to one guy... You almost don't need to speak to the other guy. Yeah, Eddie this, and AJ are a different interviews. What are we going to talk <laughs> about? What are we going to talk about? Leeway. Uh, Eddie kind of covers it. Oh, you know who else is in the crossover segment? Kirk Hammett. Perfect. Get the fuck out. Does of he right. tell the uh, Tommy uh, Carroll story? He, he doesn't. He doesn't. Is that Jimmy? He Sorry. doesn't. He doesn't tell oh, hey, the. Bud. Hey, the, you know, uh, my plumber's here. Hang on. Keep going. Keep talking. Keep talking. He doesn't talk. He doesn't. Um, doesn't do the. Um, no, he doesn't. There was, there was no real, real I mean, need for that. it's been documented before, but it's an infamous it's a, New York hardcore I know, but it's not the kind of film I'm making, like, you right. know, about the guy, time I went on. And he liked those bands. He liked Crumb Suckers no, and Crumb I talked to like him that. 
off the off the uh, off the mic about it. You know, he was you know, he was kind of hurt that he got up to play with a band that he loved and, and someone spit on him. I'd and, imagine and, so. And, yeah. and like his feelings, you know, he was hurt. He like he didn't understand. He yeah. loved the band like everyone else did. Why are people spitting on me? Yeah. You know, so he didn't he didn't understand that it's Tommy Carroll and from straight, you know, from he didn't understand who who that kid was that did it. Exactly. You know, many years later. Or why the kid was offended, per se. Right. Yeah. Right. And I felt I felt sort of awkward knowing who I the, didn't go to that show that day. But, but of course, every one of my friends who went called me and told me what happened. And I was right. like, uh, the Kirk Hammett CBs thing. Oh, but, but um, so, yeah, so that's seems like a nice guy. It's great. There, I have nothing but nice things to say about the guys in Metallica. I think I think I've, I think I've said every episode we've ever done that I opened for Metallica. <laughs> I, I think just, that's established. <laughs> Look, this is just my personal nice. experience. You know, I'm just t- talking from my personal experience of dealing with these people and interviewing them and spending time with them socially. You know, the Metallica guys have been really gracious and really cool. I really enjoyed hanging out with them, and and when I've interviewed them. You know, I don't have anything, you know. I think and, it's and also, I, there's th- a lot to, a lot of, when people are at that level, I mean, I've met people from a kid at ABC No Rio to Donald Trump and Tony Bennett from, like, work and life. And it's, half of it is how you meet them and when you meet them. Yeah. So, you know. In a, the a context. Like Metallica. Right. Like, I'll put that up there with, like, meeting Trump back in the day or Tony yeah. Bennett. It's like, it's where you meet him and who you are at that moment and mm-hmm. what they've been through that day. I've That's been right. that guy. You've been that guy. Yeah. So, yeah, you know. Sure. But you, you have I'm that guy every day. What's that? I'm that guy every day. Yeah. Depending on how many drinks I've You're had. You're a constant asshole? Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Pretty yeah. much, yeah. I'm glad we're friends. So let me, uh, you want to do 10 questions? You want to do well, his Well, he said he's going to save that for his own thing. So, uh, but I will say this. What was your favorite show you saw in Boston? And what was your favorite show you, know, you saw in New you, York? You, you, you asked me, great show. All I, all, we, we got to Minor Threat and then everything just yeah, we went, went, went off the rails. The, everything just went off the, off the rails. <laughs> so but, I'll say this. So, so wait, let me, show, let me finish that okay, question. Minor Threat, I thought, was great back in the day. I saw them as much as I could. The Bad Brains were unbelievable in, in 81 and 82. I saw the Bad Brains play, like, I, got, I bet I saw the Bad Brains play pff, from 81 to 82 probably 20, 30 times. Like, we went and saw them play. We knew they were magical, and we fucking, we would drive to New York. We would, we would go see them play any chance we could. Um, in that magic era of, 80, of, of 82, you know, like... Um, I always liked the Misfits, and I thought they were fun. We, I, um, we would go see them. I saw them a bunch of times when I was in the High and Mighty. I pl- we played with them. I got, I got to uh, know the guys. When I joined Antidote, you know, Arthur Googie was playing drums, yep. and he just left the Misfits. I, I thought the Misfits were a lot of fun. We used to go see the Misfits. And one thing that people don't realize, uh, in, you know, due to the swirling, uh, the shifting sands of time is like, we used to go see the Misfits and nobody was there and nobody gave a shit. And the people that were there were screaming at them, telling them that they sucked. So, you know, I remember seeing the Misfits at Gildersleeves and people were like, you suck, you're out of tune. Like, so it was only later that they, they sort of achieved this kind of mythical, you know. Even my friends who saw them back in the day. Oh, we say that they loved them, but they were borderline incompetent live. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they, they made their own yeah. instruments. Yeah, and I, I, I actually yeah. sang on a on a, a Misfits record and and uh, <clears throat> a Michael Graves era, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, they like their instruments barely worked. They yeah. like like I'm pretty sure. Like, have you ever seen Doyle? I saw I saw yeah. Doyle recently with uh, Danzig. Uh-huh. At, at, I saw him at the Roundhouse in London, 
And like, I don't think he actually played guitar. I think he just punched his guitar yeah. a bunch. And I saw Doyle that. play here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't come. I was. Yeah. yeah I, I, he had better things to do. <clears throat> I was, it was Sunday night. I don't know. <laughs> was it his own band, Doyle? Yeah, it was yeah. great. His own band is good. It's good, you know. But the Misfits were fun, you know. Like they were like our Kiss, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like we knew all the words, and it was like, whoa, it was corny, and yeah. and, and, and we love them. Um, you know, from that era. But, you know, those were the bands that, that um, and of course, SSD Control. Uh, I saw, They've you know, always been my favorite Boston. They, 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 that, those, were, that, those were our, those were our, that was our voice. Those were our boys. You know, that, that was, you know, as a young what teenager. What about Slapshot? I did, hmm? What about Slapshot? Did That's you, later. That was later. I know, but that you was knew later. Jack was the first person you met. Choke was the first you know person what, you met. But he, was, he had negative effects first. That, that, that only, they only played a few shows. Right. Um, I never really connected. Personally, I never really connected with them. I was back in New York. I never really connected with Slapshot. Mm. You know? I never really connected with Choke that much as a, as a person. Other than, like, he's a friend. But, you know, I, he's... I didn't... Um, I don't have that much in common with him. Right. You know, he's, you know, you know, he's into hardcore, whatever, whatever. But like uh, where he's coming from, he's like a Massachusetts guy. He's coming from a different life experience than I, than I have. I like him. We're cool. Um, I wouldn't be standing here right now if it wasn't from him. But, um, you know, he, and he writes some great shit, you know, but, but I never, I didn't, I, I think by the time Slapshot rolled around, I was sort of. You know, looking yeah. at other things gotcha. as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a good four or five <laughs> years later. So. Yeah. But, I mean, as far as, you know, and I saw a lot of those, you know, early bands, you know, early on in the game. But, but you know, it took a while for New York hardcore bands. I, like, there weren't any great – I didn't find – I didn't think there was any great New York hardcore bands. Who was the first one that grabbed you? And, uh, taking out Bad Brains, assuming they were – Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't even – yeah. Um, I think that part of it back then was – I, okay, the first thing that grabbed me was the Agnostic Front Victim in Pain recording. That, that, that's what changed me. That, 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 that was the first time that it was like, wow, here's something that is a classic. Here's a classic. Immediately. Like, yeah. Like, that was the first time. I think to me, to me personally, that was now the first time. But when I think about that era and I think about, like, the ba- like the bands – to me, it wasn't so much as what bands were great, but it was like the community and the culture. And when I think back on that era, I, a band that re- like comes to mind is like Cause for Alarm. Like I remember going to CB's matinees and seeing like Cause for Alarm was always playing. And I always remember, I remember walking, and I have a vivid memory like that of walking into CBGB's and just hearing that dull sound down at the end of the club and like, you know, who's that? And it was always kind of cause for alarm. <laughs> just, just sort of like, you know, doing, do, their thing. doing their thing. And so to me, you know, that cause for alarm single was really, is really represent, represents that era. You know, but, but nobody, was like, nobody was like, oh, my God, fucking amazing. You know, it wasn't probably until the Cro-Mags came along when I saw a band that was like, oh, boy, this is, this yeah, is serious. This is next level. Ooh. They were fucking serious. Now, I saw the Cro-Mags early on with Eric Casanova singing. So he saw him in 82 then? No, no. I think Eric was singing maybe 83, 84, 83, 84. So I I think I saw every gig that Eric Casanova did singing for the Cro-Mags. It might only have been two or three or maybe four, but I saw those. So for me, 
I saw the Cro-Mags early on, and they were aight with Eric. You know, they were sort of finding their footing. And then, you know, to step back in in, like, 85 and, see, and see them with John and, like, when they were doing all the Age of Crawl stuff, they were scary, man. They were fucking serious, man. They were like some – they were like, wow. The growth is huge because the early recordings that have leaked out, it's a band yeah. still finding their way. Yeah, yeah. But they, they were the band that – it's like – it's almost like New York, New York hardcore, there was like some lag time there before like, you know – and of course, you know, Agnostic Front is a band that just did a lot of hard work through the years early on. And I was at the I was at the very first Agnostic Front show at the Two Plus Two in in '82. It was on the um, it was on the the Negative Approach. It was a process of elimination tour. Negative Approach, For the, the Necros, right? And they played at Two Plus Two, and I went and. This might have been one of those times where I was back from Boston for Christmas vacation or something. I went. I remember it. And the name of the band was called The Zoo Crew. And it was, it was Vinny and um, Robbie Cripp Crash on drums and Diego on bass and, um, and John Watson singing. But that was the first agnostic front. And then, you know, pe- you know, people were in and out. Then this one was out and Ray Bees was in on drums. And then Watson was out and they did a show with James. And then, and then Roger came in. But having seen like that first, you know, uh, ag- show, and they were they they weren't very good. But through power of perseverance, and yeah, I used to call Roger the hardest working the hardest working man in hardcore. The same way like James Brown was like the hardest working man in showbiz. Roger Moret was the hardest working man in hardcore. He got a van. They went out of town. They just they did those records themselves, and they just they you know. They um, they took it, the bull by the horns. And it's almost like mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like qua- quantity, not quality. Right. But victim in pain is 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 iconic. They did do that iconic record. That and Age of Quarrel is the blueprint. As far as recordings, I think those are the two records that. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. I'll buy that. I mean, look, there's other stuff. I mean, the seven inches before that from all the bands. Yeah. Antidote abused. Well, the long, antidote record. Gosh. The antidote record was. Groundbreaking. And I the mean, Urban Way single, too. Right. But the Antidote record was the first record that actually sounded good. Like, it was recorded yeah. well. And, like, and you know, it, it, that record still uh, resonates to this day. Like, it, it's a fucking good record. I mean, you know, how blessed am I? I ended up joining, like, my favorite band in the world. You know, I mean. How did that come about? Well, it came about when um, Antidote. And uh, the High and the Mighty, we drove down to D.C. to play the Wilson Center with Scream and Marginal Man. And they, they, had, they had this place like the Wilson Center. And the mob was on the bill. So I had a van at the time. This was – this must have been – I'm tempted to say early 84 or late 83 because the High and the Mighty, you know, was around. And we were playing A7 and we had the demo tape out and, you know, we were slogging away. And – um we went down to D.C. to play, and I was friends with Nunzio at this point. You know, we all met at the A7, and me and the Nuns were friends already. We were hanging out. We, we, me and him were hanging out all the time. So the High and the Mighty got on the bill in D.C. It was probably because I got on the bill because I said, yo, you, you guys you need to get down to D.C.? Put the High and the Mighty on the bill. I'll drive my van. We'll no, go. Yes. I I've mean, that's how, that, that's how things happened back then, right? Yeah. So we went down to D.C. and we, we, played, we played the Wilson Center. And then afterwards on the way back, 
you know, these dudes got into some big fucking fight with their singer, with Louis. And, you know, um, and I'll never forget it because it was it, it was in the van in the van. And then we stopped at the Maryland house, which is on um, 95. If, if it's still there and they recently tore it down and, and now it's like a modern sort of rest area. But for a long time, it was the Maryland house. It was like literally like a house. It was like very, very old school. Like, you know, it was like the Maryland house, you know, it was like a house that was like a rest area. It was very, it was, you know, way, way, right outside like Baltimore or something. Right. So we, we stopped, they were fighting in the van and it was like, you know, it was Arthur Googie. And, and Louie, they were fighting, and, and, like, it was almost coming to blows. And then we stopped at the Maryland house, and that's where the shit hit the fan. Do you know what the fight was about? They just couldn't stand each other. I mean, it was like they just – look, I, I'm – you know, I'm not – you know, I'm not here to um, – I don't, I don't want to um, – slag anybody years later there's no reason for me to do that there's no you know there's nothing for me to gain by that um i just don't think those guys got along mm-hmm. um you know i don't want to like point out well this guy did That's this fine. and that guy just, did that just wondering no, if i'm there just was, saying like for somebody fuck somebody's because, girlfriend because like, there's you know. a lot of that no there was a lot of that this guy stole this this guy did that this guy punched this one in the face right. it was a violent crazy time so there was a lot of tension in the band, and they were constantly fighting with, with, with Louis. And then at this rest area, there was just this huge blowout, and, and you know, they, they just couldn't stand him anymore, you know? They couldn't stand him anymore. And, um, and I guess the feeling was mutual, whatever. And when we got back to New York, like I said, I was friends with Nuncio, and one thing led to the other, and, and I just kind of tried out for the band, and I knew all the fucking music. I went in there, and... Fucking, they were like my favorite band, and I'm I, sure you nailed it because you had the songs. I do that. That seven inch was the shit. I loved it, and I'll never, I'll never um, uh, take anything away from you know Louis's vocals he on. Kills on, on it's great. He kills I'll him. never look. I, I got way more. You know, like I said, there's no need for me to do that. What's so, a, do you know Louis? Huh? Do you know Louis mm-hmm. still? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's he? What's he do? Uh, he's in he's in Atlanta. He does you know he does his thing, um, you know. Doesn't do music, does he? Dude, he hasn't done a thing since they kicked him out of the band. Oh, I was just about so to ask that. Years, yeah. he hasn't done shit. So, see, wow. I, 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 I yeah, he hasn't really done anything musically. You know, Facebook gives you know him a platform to kind of do his thing, and and you know, but. You know, I'm, I'm, I have nothing, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about anybody. I don't think that serves any purpose. Oh, no. I wasn't know? asking. Just, yeah. 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 Y- you know, but, but inevitably, like, a conversation like this, you know, kind of you get sucked into that, you know, because. Oh, yeah. We know. You know because Especially <laughs> when you talk about a breakup. I mean, it's. Well, like, yeah. well, yeah. And also, I know that Louis, you know, Louis doesn't have anything nice to say about me. And, you know, I've seen shit on the. Uh, inter- I've seen shit oh, on. So the- he's accusing you of being, say, opportunist or something. Right. Jesus Christ. It's been a long time, dude. Like, uh, <laughs> what the fuck? And the 32 years of inactivity. And, 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 and we all know how volumes. we can obviously see how rich you are from, you know, having replaced him in Antidote. Look, <laughs> they, they, kicked, you out, they kicked you out of the band 35 years ago. What do you want me to tell you? You know, I'm sorry. Like, like it was 35 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> So and you like can I, apologize now if you want. Yeah, you know, but 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 then again, but then but then again, you know, like I said, like you know, it, it, I'd love to take anything away from you know his performance on that record. It was great. You know, no, it's one of actually time. my favorite. Vocally, I think it's one of the one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite New York hardcore records and one of my it's favorite great. hardcore records ever. It's and great. He kills on it. He kills but on it. Obviously, it ran its course yep. on a personal level. And what are you going to do? 
That's it. Things, you know, things, people, things march on, whatever. Now, after whatever. that seven inch, um, you guys were writing for new stuff. Because the LP that came out years later, I yeah. assume is different material or the, you changed the, the style of the material. Yeah, yeah. Because you went more in a hard rock direction from a hardcore direction. Is yeah, that the same songs or did you scrap was, uh, it? Was that, was that looked at, that change? Was that, looked, was that frowned upon? Oh, you think? Very much so. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not terribly familiar with Antidote, so okay. I'm a little too young. But the, you have the, a take uh, on it? Was, I have a take on it. Yeah, um, what, take on? What, I mean, I love the seven times. Do we, do we put it up there with like the last token entry record or like... Yeah. Uh, in a way, but... I, and it's all about to be re-released, by the way. Oh, is it really? <laughs> That's great. That's um, awesome. By, by old school metal records is putting a bunch Are of that stuff. That? Yeah, it's cool. That's hysterical. It's cool. Um, I think yeah, it's... I mean, I, hardcore kids yeah. wanted nothing to do with it. But you yeah. want, I mean, I used to see you around every week more in like a scrap bar kind of yeah, scene. I didn't right. know you yet. Right. But my, my girlfriend hung out and worked there. Right, and right, I right. see you all the time. Right. And a lot of those people were old punk rock and hardcore guys who hung out there. And... You know, if it was your band or Circus of Power, there was, like, punk guys that went more in a hard rock direction. I, I mean, there, I think there was a lot of musical purity, and it was cool. It was just people had moved on to a different thing. Oh, yeah. Please, please, had, move on. But, please. but wait, here's the thing, though. <laughs> but once your name is legendary or oh, yeah. solidified yeah. in a certain yeah. scene, especially hardcore. No, you're committing treason. Yeah. Then yeah. you're committing treason. You might as well <laughs> fuck their mother. Yeah. And that was the problem. If it was a different <laughs> band name, I think people... Well, it's been like, oh, whatever. The guys from Antidote moved on to a different thing. But it was under the Antidote banner, and then people crucified it. That's my take. Yeah, and don't, no, try, no, that, don't try and show any ambition. No, that, that's, that's, that's a fair take on it. Um, what happened was I joined the band. Um, you know, we, we, we played a bunch of shows as a hardcore band, but we were already changing by then. You know, Googie, you know, uh, you know eventually left with Brian, who, who plays on Thou Shalt Not Kill. They wanted to do something. You know, they want, we, were getting into, we were getting into some different stuff. What were you listening to? I mean, you mentioned Guns N' Roses before, but this is pre-Guns N' Roses. So what were you listening to between, like, 84 and 87 that you were – what was the vibe and what were you changing? Now, what was he listening to? We were listening to a lot of the early hip-hop stuff and um, a lot of the um, – you know, I was, I was learning more about music, you know uh, – but we were listening to, I mean, what was happening in New York at that time. Early hip-hop stuff, er, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I think about, I'm thinking on the songs that from, that from the last shows we played that we didn't record. We did record some, and they were, you know what? Well, you know, you know what things songs, started to sound, you know, what's, you know what we start, started to sound like a little bit? More like, like U2 or, or 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 like some rap stuff. We were like in, we were like, and this is before U two was. Well, seven seconds like, did that too. And what's that? Seven seconds did that too. Yeah, this was before U two. Like you think like the first few albums. Like, U2 you think about U two now, and you're like, ugh. It's a different but, entity. No, no, right, no. Yeah. I'm, were I'm talking like eighty four, yeah. eighty five. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then you know the metal stuff. You know, so so what what happened was we um, we played a bunch of shows. We recorded. It didn't come out. And then we shut the whole thing down in like 86, 87. Then we sort of got back together with some different guys. It was me and Nunzio. And we had – so I'm giving you a very abbreviated. And we were having trouble really you know, booking shows and stuff. And someone suggested you should just call it Antidote. It's you and you. You guys are – so we, we, we started calling it Antidote again. And it's we were, a good name. We were, getting, we were getting shows and this and that. And then we did the Return to Burn record. And the Return to Burn record was very um, much like a lot at that time. It was like, like I, went, I went to 
the Carriage House studio in Connecticut. I've recorded to, there. To check out the studio. Stanford, Connecticut. And Pantera was in there mixing fucking Cowboys from Hell. And I was like, yo. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. You know, like, listen, that record sounds... It's huge. That record sounds big. Yeah. And I was like, so we thought we'd record there. And, you know, the record was just like a very, you know, time capsule of that time. And, and what's weird is that, you know, there, there's, you know, Something Must Be Done is on there, Remade. Road, Road Warriors on there. That's a, that's an old High and the Mighty song. It's just the sound of it. It's not hardcore. Right. It's very rock. Right. You know, and we did a rock record and, and, and the album cover was awful. It was bad album cover art. That's the worst thing about the artwork doesn't. It was just bad. It was a bad call. It was bad cover artwork. You know, and then you look at the band and we, you know, we all had, I had we all had really long hair. I had really long hair. And, um, you know, it just, uh, it just, you know, people just got freaked out. The know? reissue, do you have any bonus or demo track? Yeah, yeah, the reissue's great. Um, old School Metal Records is putting out Antidote, The Rock Years. <laughs> and it's really just a compilation of the best of that era. It's got like, it's got some tracks off Return to Burn. It's got some tracks from the Viva Los Bendejo session that we did. Do you like that session better than the album? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the Rivalos Bendejo stuff we did, which was later on, we were starting to come more a little full circle, and that that just sounded better. It was, it was just it was just better. Whereas Return to Burn had like a second guitar player, and it was just like we. Who was it? This kid Jimmy Garcia, who who was brought into the band, who played lead guitar. Now I'm listening to the leads now, and like it's just it was just. I won't say it was ill advised, but because because here's the logic in the end, right? Here's the logic of the whole thing. It's like the Star Trek episode. Like, if we weren't there, then we wouldn't be here, right? And for all those years at Antidote, and, and we had a great run there as a rock band. We played, we were like the house band of the limelight. You played all the time. We played all the time. And we had a, a, we had a huge fan base. And we got very close to signing a major label deal. I mean, we did a lot of work, hard work, and we got very close before, like, you know, before the grunge thing came in and everything collapsed really before fast. Kirk Cobain, it, it, yeah, whatever it was, it all collapsed really fast. But we, we, we had it going on there, you know, and, and got very, very close at the end. But, you know, we had a fan base, and it kept the name out there. And, for, you know, and it was just part of the history of the band. So, you know... If we wouldn't have done that, then what would it have been? Antidote put out a single in 1983 and then didn't play for until 2008. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was just part of – so it was. is it better to have, you know, um, been a rock band and done that thing and, and kept the name out there and, and, you know, put out the, you know – you know that record, which you know was is it was an is an oddity, a novelty at best, uh, you know, or to not have done it at all. So I I, I tend to think that it was it's probably best, you know, to done what we have done. Yeah, so I have person. a question about that. You you said the session you did after the album you felt was better, and yeah. some labels were sniffing. Yeah. Now before grunge killed everything, right. do you think if you would have gotten signed on that material, that you would have been able to take off more than just the New York regional area, and it would have done well? Oh, yeah, of course. Listen, in, in any regard, and I learned this later on, you know, in a lot of instances, it just depends how much the label is going to get behind you. They can take anything and make it happen. It's, that, well, that's I, very I Spinal learned, Tap. I they can le- shove that bell right down your throat. What's, you're right. <laughs> it's Spinal Tap. <laughs> I learned that later that, that, like, you know, 
you know, you can do a great record or have great stuff, but what it really comes down to in the end, it, when you're playing in that realm, is how much the label is going to get behind you. And, and you guys and, were good live. I mean, I saw you guys twice yeah. around that time. Yeah. No, we, that, you were really good live. Let's, you were great. Let's talk, let, let's talk about the cover. What's wrong with the cover? It's awful. It's just What's awful. Wrong with the it's, you have it's a awful. woman on all fours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know you know. Okay. <laughs> Having a glove pushed in her face. You <laughs> don't call that sexist? You, <laughs> What's so. wrong with being sexy? What's sexist, <laughs> you idiot. You should have seen what they really wanted. <laughs> yeah, Who, so it wasn't a glove, I'll tell you. Dude, listen. I mean, there's so many bad covers. We were young. Totally. I we were it. young. We were getting high. Yeah, fuck it, dude. You who know, gives a shit? We didn't know nothing. Who gives a shit? You know, who gives a shit? It was, like, it, it, was, it was just... I'd be disappointed if that record had something different as a cover. It could have... Listen, man. It, it was... Hindsight is, is not... How bad is it? The cover? Yeah. It's it's, awful. Just, it's just weird to even bring up a cover that's bad. <laughs> you, can look, like, you can look at it yourself. I, <laughs> <laughs> the cover's rough. Oh, no, I had to turn the internet off. Right. Doing this. Yeah, well, well, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, find it, please. I'm, I'm fascinated. Let's see. Uh, let me see if I can find it. See, this it. is a good example of, like, uh, I, uh, this is one of the first podcasts we've done that was, like, straight up one of Ron's connections. Uh-huh. He's had to sit through many a podcast of me just uh, yeah, fucking. Yeah, like, he went on tour with semi 80 times. Yeah, like, talking talking tour stuff. stories and shit. So, But as you were saying before, I, this is, uh, it's super fun to, like, not know that yeah. much about the, 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 the joy of, of discovery yeah yeah it's cool as shit I'm gonna go home and listen to the first end of 7 inch there it is no, you should maybe it'll maybe it'll re-spark my my former love of hardcore we'll start a hardcore band yep. there we go it's, it's, it's uploading hold on Wait. it just has to load what up what label was it on I can't remember Metropolis which was which was some kids I grew up with. They started a label. They you know they, they had some. It was an exciting time, man. Did they do goth shit? Huh? Did they did they stay? Did it stay a label? Yeah, they also they also put out uh, that band from the fire, which was. Um... I know what it looks like. But... Oh wow! You know, it's like a bad drawing. There we go. What the fuck? Can I make this bigger? I want to yeah. see you guys. <laughs> There I am. Holy shit. But, but wait, but wait, look. There's a reflection uh, of us. Some, some, some skeleton with a... It was just... Oh, my God. Awful, dude. Yeah, it's great. Dude, who painted this? Some fucking... Dude. I'm sorry you out there in listening land can't see this. Uh, Google... Google, Ant- Google Antidote Return to Burn. And this is just... And it's I'm two, sorry. the letter. It's the, it's the number two, not T-O. Right. And, I mean, there's a fucking... What's with the wine? This person's drinking brandy. This is like... <laughs> Like you got somebody's flexing. This guy's At the time, it seemed like a good idea. This looks like Pete Steele, but not as tall. I'm, not, I'm so confused. Is it? Is this? No, he's just flexing. I thought maybe he was punching the other guy. I, I, and then, and then you're all. Did you guys leave the East Coast at all with that band, or were you just doing the regional? Because I know you played New York like weekly. It seemed. Like. Drew, are you the guy wearing the hat? No. No, I can't. I literally is that you? No. I, Oh, wow. Look at you, man. Did you have the side shaved like the no, bass player of, no, of no, Voivod? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> or like me? No, we didn't. You know, you know what? Honestly, honestly, that band collapsed in 92 under the weight of drugs and alcohol. And um, just part of that era, you know. I mean, that was the time. We're talking about like scrap bar. Dude, we, right? went, we went off, man. We were going off back then, and it just sort of collapsed, and it ran its course, and in the end, and people had problems, and... You Only know, if you stayed in hardcore, you could have been part of the youth crew. 
You know what? In, 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 in retrospect, <laughs> hey, look, in retrospect, you know what? You know, you could have stayed like sick of it all and just, you know, stayed the course and yeah. just done what, done that. And you, yeah. and the ACDC be, of hardcore. Be known, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Ahead of hardcore. no, no, no. And be known as like, oh, they kept it real, this and that. But, you know, we, we wanted to do different things, you know? I mean, it was only, it's only later, like now, Antidote, like, you know, we've kind of come full circle. It's like, you know, we enjoy being the best Antidote hardcore band we can be. We love it. Yeah. You know, it's great. But when and you're, you guys are having fun when you play, it's very obvious. Yeah, yeah. To get in. yeah so yeah, uh, I just want to point out that we're at two hours. We're at two hours? Yeah. Well, right, you want to wrap it up? Well, you want to play some music? I saw a guitar. Oh, no, I don't want to start. Nah. No? Nah. I thought you were going to play. <laughs> but why don't you talk about your new projects? Yeah. When the I, movies are debuting? All that. Yeah, give a, give a little plugage. Um, Star bands, I guess. Well, I got the two films coming out, the New York Hardcore Chronicles film, and uh, who the fuck is that guy, Michael Alago? Be out this summer. Keep an eye out for it. Um, Antidote plays every now and then. Um, I think, as of right now, I think we're... The only gig I know of is we're playing the uh, Long Island Punk Rock Barbecue. Cool. Um, I know the kid who does that. Whether we really do it or not, but we're scheduled to do it. Um, and I also have a permit for Tompkins Square Park for the summer again. Oh, nice. Where we did the Dr. No Benefit that everybody played with the Cro-Mags and that Antidote. And that was 2,000 people there. So we have, we have a permit for, for that same day uh, in July, and uh, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And then I also have the Drew Stone Hit Squad, which uh, plays a combination of um, punk, hardcore, blues, and Americana in an acoustic format. And uh, that's me and Tristan Michael, um, who plays acoustic. Uh, he's a bass player at Antidote. And uh, Bopa King Kare. One um, of my best friends and oldest right. friends. Who's here? Who's been sitting here through this Quietly. Whole he's wearing an awesome ass suck shirt. Wearing an ass suck shirt. <laughs> come, come say hello. This is Bopa. How's it going, everyone? It's been a great interview so far. Yeah, it's been a great interview so far. Yeah, dude, what's, when did, when did uh, Wolfgang, Wolf, Wolfman Jack show up? It's, hey, he's been here lurking. I've been he's lurking in, in the chat. He's shadows. one of my oldest friends. I've known him since we were like 16, 17. And uh, yeah. I think they met through me, actually, at uh, Officially, one yeah. Night. yeah Officially. No, we, the we, Dead Boys movie. No, no, it wasn't the Dead Boys movie. It was the Bad Brains movie. Bad Brains the Bad Brains movie. movie. That's You're right. where we met. And now, you know, we play music together, and I love playing with this guy. He's a, he's a great, great percussionist and a great guy. You play, the, you play the gym band? bands that he should plug. We're as having well. a great time. Yeah, who you play? With? I have some off the off the mark sort of stuff. <laughs> I, have a, I have a group called the Proletarians, which is a uh, rock band, lowercase r, hard to explain. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of influences, and uh, I have another group called the Clanimous Minds, which is a uh, more of a dance-oriented instrumental percussion violin DJ centered thing. Cool. And a potential grindcore side project with me. Yeah, power violence grindcore. Thing you should you should on. use a djembe. Grindcore with a djembe. What it, do you think? It's pretty close. Djembe's, djembe's are the only way drummers can get laid at open mic nights. <laughs> Good <Nice>. advice. <laughs> the bongo has its occasion, but I don't want to plug it. So, you know. <laughs> you have hit squad gigs coming up? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're doing um, we're doing a benefit for Virginia Crest, who sadly passed away. Yes, last yes, month. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, mm. so she's an old friend. And, um, she was at every show in the mid to late 90s. Yeah. I mean, every, every yeah. single show. So they're doing, like, a benefit for her son and her family at, um, is it Amityville Musical? I think yes. it's AMH, Amityville yeah. Musical. So uh, we're playing that, the Drew Stone Hit Squad, with um, No Redeeming Social Value and Murphy's Law. Yeah, it's in April, I think. April, yeah. April 14th or something. I can't remember the date. I think yeah. it's April. Jimmy's going out to Long Island? 
Yeah. I invented fun. Jimmy was just on the road with Sick of It All uh, in, they just in got back. Florida and Texas. And then we're playing two, day, um, two days later. We're doing one of Steve Blush's things. Oh, cool. Great. You know, we like Steve Blush. He's, he's you know, he puts I just his, saw him uh, Sunday, actually. Yeah. So we're doing, we're doing Steve, uh, Steve Blush thing uh, in New York. Is that the book release thing? Well, another no, one no, of them. No, no, he's DJing at... Some, oh, at Manitoba's. No. No? Some other place. Huh. So he wants hmm. to do, you know... We want to play, and we're going to record soon, too. Cool. Cool. So that's it for me. And Well, you have movie dates that are set. Oh, so yeah. You should give those. Fuck, maybe we should talk about Gramercy, that. Gramercy, huh? I know tickets just went on sale, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll do an intro to this and okay. do, give the specifics so that people will hear it in the beginning. But but I know, just as a reminder, um, the New York Hardcore Chronicles world premiere of the film is going to be May 19th at the SVA Theater. Uh, that's sold out. And then after that, I'm going on the road with the film. I'm doing um, the Motivate Film Festival in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at the end of May. And then May 31st is Rosendale, New York. June 1st is Connecticut. June 2nd is Philadelphia. June 3rd is Massachusetts. June 4th is Rhode Island. Oh, you're hitting it hard. Yeah. And then, um, and then June 29th, June 28th, I believe, is going to be Asbury Park, New Jersey. And then June 29th, the Gramercy Theater in New York. That's going to be a big one. Oh, that's Great. awesome, man. Cool. Uh, the one, um, so you're doing an after show here, right? You're no. you show it again? But actually, Late night, you know midnight? What? We should do something here. Yeah, We should screen the film and do something. Let's book it. Let's book it right now on air. The <laughs> movie was here, and it was great. We talked about that. And Freddie Alvarez. Uh, Newbreed. Oh, yeah. New Freddie, that's it. Freddie Alvarez. Yeah. 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 They've both been here, and they were both yeah. great. And um, any questions, check out www.thenewyorkhardcorechroniclesfilm.com. And there's plenty of interviews on YouTube already. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean. They've been going on for a long well, time. Well, the whole 10 questions. Well, check out, check out the Facebook page, The New York Hardcore Chronicles. That's started. That predated the film by a while. And that's got you know 85,000 people on it. And. That was really the impetus for the film. I wasn't going to make a film, but when the page started to get so much um, attention and people loved it so much, it sort of got me thinking that, you know, wouldn't it be kind of cool to take that spirit and that vibe from the page and make a film like that? that that's what was really the impetus. That was the main impetus? Yeah. Awesome. I, I never want, after the Boston Heart film, I was like, I'm not making any fucking, I'm done. Right. <laughs> and people go, what are you making a New York Harker film? I'm like, never. I wonder, if any, I wonder if people are going to be able to hear anybody who's stuck with us this long. Uh, uh, there's plumbing. There's being, yeah, the, the, the sink in the back bathroom has a hole in it, and uh, it's been leaking for days. Well, <laughs> unlike CVs, at least you fix it. Well, we like to, you know, try it's and be classy. somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. This, oh, place, this place looks really big now that there's no one in here. I'm always in here, and it's crowded of people. Yeah. But anyway, Good. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me, fellas. That was oh, cool. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I appreciate, really appreciate it, it. and uh, you know, that was fun, and... It's good to get the word out there. So I, uh, I, I absolutely I love your spirit. It's, Thank uh, you. It's contagious and All very right. very cool. And, and thanks everybody out there for the support. Honestly, the New York Hardcore Chronicles film could not have happened without your support. I never thought that it was. I never ever thought that it was my film. I always thought that it was our film. So thanks a lot, and I hope to see you at some of the screenings. Bye. Awesome. Peace. Take care, man. Thanks for everything.